There was an idea. Dormammu, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Baskin Robbins always finds out. I for the faster way. Are you Tony's stank? I am Iron Man. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective. The show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie, episode by episode. I am your host, Eduardo, and I'm joined by three incredibly delectable dudes. I don't know why I said that. we got Ravi, we've got Chris, we've got Peaches. What's up, guys? What is your frame of reference? <laughs> Just take the compliment. Don't answer that. Just take the compliment and go, man. What are you doing? I feel pretty delectable. I don't know about Listen, you. Listen, we've, we've talked about how we're bad at compliments, okay? You can't just expect me to take a compliment like that. I can and I will expect it. Oh. Never mind then. I was wrong. <laughs> we've got a, lo- a lot to talk about this episode. It was a very uh, emotional episode. A lot, a lot happened. Um, but before we talk about all that, Chris... You did a little bit of homework before, uh, during this week. What did you, uh, what did you read? Just a little bit of homework, and I'm gonna, I gotta finish it up for the next episode. But I started reading. There is a 2015 uh, Scarlet Witch series. Uh, it's 15 issues, uh, written by James Robinson, art by Vanessa Del Rey, and it follows the the uh, the idea behind it is that Scarlet Witch is uh, she's working in Manhattan. Uh, she's living there. Her roommate is the ghost of Agatha Harkness, as one does. Everyone needs a ghost roommate, I guess. And she's solving magical crimes. And as she's doing this, she uncovers that there is, that witchcraft is broken, and she has to go on a globetrotting adventure to figure out what is wrong with witchcraft and how she can fix it. Uh, but the main thing I wanted to share with this is that in the first issue, she's describing her, her powers. And her powers have always been super duper confusing as we've talked about numerous times. First, she was a mutant where her powers were hex magic, which altered probability, which of course we'll talk about in this very episode. And then she also learned from Agatha Harkness, actual real magic in addition to her hex powers. And then you found out that she had chaos magic. And then later on, they decided that no, there's no such thing as chaos magic. Uh, which is what led it to Avengers Disassembled and House of M. But since that point, since House of M, she has learned that her magic, in addition to her hex powers, which she still has her latent hex abilities, what she has learned is that she it is a power called witchcraft, which very specifically in the Marvel Comics universe is linked to the energy of the Earth and of womankind. And it's been around since ancient pagan faiths and it has been feared by men specifically, which if you look historically, that's kind of what, you know, men are the one. I mean, you look at the social reasons behind, for example, the Salem witch trials. A lot of it was men being afraid of women men are weak. <laughs> and for, for whatever reason. Uh, so, yeah, so I just thought it was interesting that there is a specific definition to witchcraft in the Marvel Comics universe that is separate from their other magic so it is a specific branch of magic wielded by women linked to womankind and and the earth not not saying that the mcu is going to go that way at all but i just thought it was uh, an interesting take on on the idea hmm. 
so yeah so i'm gonna finish up that series this week like i'm only two issues in uh she went to greece and met a goddess that she has known for a long time and she's like how's hercules and scarlet which is like i don't really know him that well but he's fine <laughs> yeah so so I'm, I'm i'm interested to see where where this goes uh where this storyline goes so are we but also we're interested to see where this storyline goes so today yeah. we're talking about Episode eight, previously wait, on, directed by wait, Matt Shackman and Pete written and by Laura Donnie. <laughs> it I wasn't you, me this time. I it wasn't me this time. I just said before that you weren't going to talk about your and guys' homework. And then after that, I said I put it back in because point. of Peach's protest. You can't it's just right there do in that the without telling me. <laughs> I know it's in the notes, but you literally just said not to do it. You can't just be like, don't do this thing, and then be like, Eduardo, why didn't you do the thing I literally just told you not to do? Are you two dating? <laughs> Talk about whatever you want. Peach, what did you learn? Oh, I'm going first. Okay, so here's here's just some interesting uh, YouTube content that I found. So I, I had to pull up my YouTube history so that I gave this person uh, the correct credit. But I was browsing YouTube late at night, as I do typically to fall asleep. And I saw a video that was titled WandaVision. Agatha Harkness explained, and my very first thought was, "Well, here's one of the seven thousand YouTube videos where someone's going to point out all this shit." In uh, WandaVision, which here we are doing a podcast about the MCU. That's not the point. The point is, great. I can't wait to watch this. But then I saw the timestamp of when the video was uploaded was two years ago, so I was like, "Oh, intrigue! Intrigue happened." I don't know if it's because I, as you all know subscribe to the peaches school of don't pay attention to anything about the show or movie before it comes out. Um, but in like the first few minutes, this guy on his, his channel is comics explained talks about how Agatha Harkness was either rumored or confirmed to be in WandaVision two years ago. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you guys knew that, whatever. The whole point is I watched this because I was wondering what they were going to tell us or if there was any speculation about what our character was going to be. And it turned out that while we know Agatha Harkness as the person who taught the Scarlet Witch magic and, and you know, hangs out with her a lot, she's not actually in a ton of comics by comparison. Like she's she's like your typical side character shows up here and there. Um, you kind of expect her to be around Scarlet Witch. But what I found the most interesting about this was that in the first issue of any Marvel comic that Agatha Harkness was introduced, it was not a Scarlet Witch comic. It was a Fantastic Four comic. The Fantastic Four, um, well, Reed and Sue were having a child. They had their child and they needed somebody to babysit uh because they were doing fantastic four things and they didn't want to put their child in danger so they show up at this random house only knowing this person's name is agatha harkness and drop their child off with agatha and agatha is basically the magical babysitter because it turns out that reed and sue's child has its own host of crazy powers and agatha ended up being the perfect babysitter for this child because she is a witch and had all of this magical knowledge and so it's interesting that we've been talking about the aerospace engineer being one of the members of the Fantastic Four and Agatha Harkness is in this story because there is a much clearer connection between all of those characters than at least I originally thought. Mm -hmm. 
so that's the homework that I did. I hope that you found that enjoyable. Here's a quote from the comic I read last night. Here's Agatha talking. She goes, you know, I used to love being all mysterious and witchy, speaking in vague terms and riddles. I enjoyed how much it irritated Reed Richards. <laughs> so maybe it turns out we, st- you know, since they're connected more. Right. Maybe we do get Reed Richards. Maybe that's more telling that we're going to get Reed Richards. Maybe they already know each other. Maybe Reed comes in to stop Agatha from doing bad things and is like, yo, hold up. We're pals. Let's be pals. Yeah. Who knows? Now, the uh, the beekeeper, I think they said that his name was Agent Franklin, right? Interesting. Uh... Franklin being Franklin Richards, the uh, Reed and Sue's son. Probably the very one that Agatha used to babysit. Right. Also an Omega-level mutant. Yes. With Ooh. insane, ridiculous powers. Yes. Kind of like... That could make the beekeeper just disappearing make sense. Yeah. Yeah, but Franklin is also has always been traditionally, like, still a child, even in the mm-hmm. comics. So I'd be surprised if they went with oh, an adult like, Franklin Richards. He's like... Plus, Agent Franklin, impl- Franklin implies that that's the guy's right. last name also. Yeah. But, but still... Uh, something to make Please, you go. Agent Franklin is my father's name. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that's all. My homework was just you know watching that YouTube video and not realizing that everything was more connected than we thought. Um, my homework was reading the incredibly wordy West Coast Avengers issues forty three through forty five. Um, but what I thought was interesting was they are doing some deep pulls from the comic pages that I like even more deep pulls than I realized from what Soundlord has been saying every week. Issue forty three. And so, so the, the backdrop is a, stop me if you've heard this before, a government agency gets a hold of and dismantles Vision. Uh, in this case, it wasn't because he was, he died. They killed him in this case. But, and it ends, issue 43 ends with Mockingbird from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fame. Uh, Mockingbird bringing Wanda up to an elevated platform and showing her the dismantled Vision on tables being operated on by uh, scientists. Basically... I'm certain that the shot she has with Hayward in this episode was a callback to that shot from the comics. Uh, the next issue, issue 44, um, has to do with Wanda bringing Vision back. Uh, and Vision is uh, eventually resurrected. Uh, once he is resurrected, he is resurrected as a stark white ghost, or ghostly looking Vision, uh, completely white um, and uh, unable to remember anything. So that hasn't happened yet. I'm guessing that is coming. He doesn't really understand why Wanda cares about him. He has no memory of his relationship or his former personality. He is just um, an automaton, basically. Uh, Now, that white costume had some... So I'm certain that that's what they're calling back in this episode with the white costume at the end. They're calling back that resurrection of Vision, um, how he was stark white. I knew that I had seen the white Vision before, and it took me a while to remember. I know I already told you guys, uh, but I remember the white Vision being a part of my childhood and could not figure out why White Vision was part of my childhood. And I remembered finally, after doing some research, that it was the uh, Avengers, the Captain America and the Avengers beat em up, side-scrolling beat-em-up arcade game that was in front of every Walmart when I was a kid. Yes. Um, it was where, like where Vision would... Uh, <laughs> it's where Vision would get them like this. <laughs> uh, but in that game, Vision was uh, completely stark white, just like in... Uh, this episode of West Coast Avengers. So that's clearly where that came from. The uh, one other thing that happens in issues 43, 44, and 45 is Wanda's children keep disappearing. Uh, when Wanda is upset or distracted, they disappear when she finds the vision. Um, they disappear when she's in a fight 
And that uh, is obviously, I think, kind of relevant, although it hasn't fully been relevant yet, but I'm guessing it is going to be that the kids only exist in her mind. Um, and finally, relevant for the upcoming uh, series of podcasts we will be doing, episode 44 ends with U.S. Agent showing up to become the head of the uh, West Coast Avengers, and everyone is mad because they hate him, and he is annoying. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, he sucks. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, Isn't he rumored to be in... Oh, he's, I thought he was confirmed. In, uh, he's, he's in the trailer. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's, he's a big part. Cause, cause I think I the trailer. So yeah, I think what what kind of what Falcon Winter Soldier is going to be about is that Captain America, Steve Rogers, has picked Sam Wilson to be the new Captain America, and the government's like, but we already have someone, right. someone yeah. who is more what they think Captain America right. should look like, and we'll leave it at that for now. And that's really what USA because I really wonder, like, are they actually going to go there in terms of thematics? Uh, and that's really what boy. US Agent is: is he's the uh, the bad side of patriotism although at this point he is a hero but he is not the actual moral version of steve rogers he is more like the american idealized version of what morality is you know hating communism and, um mm-hmm. yeah where, where steve rogers represents what america should be trying to be u.s agent can is more of a representation of america at its right. worst of like and nationalism jingoism Maybe I'm going to like Falcon and the Winter Soldier a lot more than I think Maybe. I'm going to. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting because when when Sam became Captain America in the comics, I mean, that was a very big part of it was dealing with there are a lot of people both in the comics and unfortunately in real life who could not see themselves, uh, could not see a black man representing mm-hmm. Captain America. It's, it's sad that there are still people who feel that way. Well, and Peach... Um... When they were designing U.S. Agent, one of the things they were going with, okay, what is the opposite of Steve Rogers? And, like, one of the things that ended up being was, well, this is a dude who, uh, you know, this is a gung-ho dude about the military who came from the from the upper-class American southern Midwest in rural America. So, yeah. And then they is kind he of went the guy... There. Do you know that kind of famous captain america panel that shows up on social media all the time where somebody has him like pinned to the ground at gunpoint and they're talking back and forth about like what it means to be an american and freedom and that sort of thing is that u.s agent i don't actually know i know who you're talking about yeah because the guy he's talking to is not dressed up as captain america right and the one guy is so yeah is that nuke is that the guy's name oh yeah that sounds like a nuke thing nuke is in yeah nuke jones Oh really? Yes. Nuke is in Jessica Jones. Do we know? Do we know who's playing um, U.S. Agent? Yeah, really let me look up the actors. Someone name. I don't think I knew. Um, and then finally, kind of what you were talking about about the the um, the government agency agency deciding this should be Captain America. That's also how he ends up the head of the West Coast Avengers. The U.S. government decides, no, 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 y'all need this guy in charge, and so they send him. And there's conflict because none of the west coast avengers are happy about having him in charge yeah that's nuke that you just sent that's the guy he's talking to with the american flag painted yeah, on his he face looks, that's nuke. he looks like rambo and he's got like a giant gatling gun and his face yeah. is like I, the flag yeah i don't know if you know that guy nuke that is um the boyfriend who does the drugs to get stronger in jessica jones i don't remember I, what season i only watched season one one. Oh, I, d- I definitely don't. Yeah, remember the it. the guy who's a cop, he starts being con- in the being controlled by um, the purple man, and then he gets free, and he's he's Patsy's boyfriend, and he helps them, 
He's in every episode. He helps them through the show. Um, and his thing is popping pills and getting stronger. My mind is completely yeah. wiped of that, man. Yeah, I have no <laughs> like idea. Maybe, I can't even picture maybe it. Maybe like the fourth most important character in the show. <laughs> David Tennant steals the stage so well in Jessica Jones that that is the character That's I remember. Wild. That's wild. I barely remember Jessica Jones being in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wyatt Russell is playing U.S. agent. Okay. He's uh he's been in several movies. Most recently, he was in the movie Overlord, the horror movie that was set in World War II, that was rumored to be a Cloverfield movie, and then it wasn't. Gotcha. And he uh, he was in the playtest episode of Black Mirror. I know you watched. That's Black Mirror, where I so... recognize him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. call mom. And uh, and he was on Lodge Forty Nine on AMC. So there we okay. go. So that's. But we got a couple weeks before we got to start talking about him. <laughs> All right, sorry, sorry. Robbie, to your point real, real quick about them pretty much taking panels from West Coast Avengers for this episode, this episode was also the first one to include John Byrne in the special thanks uh, credits at the end of the episode. Oh. And John Byrne was the writer and I believe the artist of of those West Coast Avengers. I believe he did the writing and art because, I, well, I was doing a little bit of research on how John Byrne works and apparently... He would just start drawing the story and then turn it into the editors, which is pretty different from how a lot of comic creators work. I think that's it for homework, Eduardo. Okay. Well, today we're going to be talking about Previously On, directed by Matt Shackman and written by Laura Donnie. We start out in Salem, Massachusetts, 1963. A group of hooded figures drag Agatha Harkness through the woods. And Strike that, reverse it. Take. 1693, not 1963. Oh, yeah, my bad. 1693. <laughs> it was not a groovy time. <laughs> Agatha admits to being a witch but is on trial not for witchcraft but for betraying the rules of her coven the witches accuse her of stealing power that is above her head though she pleads she can control it and just wants to be taught not interested the witches attempt to kill Agatha through magic but she is able to reverse the spells and drain the life from the entire coven including her mother I like that they start off the trial that the witches put on Asking the witch if she's a witch. What, <laughs> what a strange thing to do. <laughs> and, and, and that was purely just done for the viewers, I assume, so that they could subvert our expectations. Uh-huh. For just one second right. that they're like, yeah. oh, maybe this is the regular Salem witch trials. Nope, I it's, guess it's witch edition. I guess it's like if you put someone on trial for spycraft or something, and the first thing you ask them is, are you an American? Then why were you selling secrets to whatever? Mm. I guess it's dramatic, but yeah, it was definitely done to make you think that it was a regular witch trial, and then it was a different kind of witch trial. I guess they would have tied her to a rock and just cast her into a lake instead of asking her questions. Yeah, if she floats, then yeah, she's a witch. <laughs> Built a bridge out of her. Yeah. They couldn't hang her because she'd start singing and enchant everybody, and they wouldn't be able to finish the job. True. In the present in her basement, Agatha reveals she is safe from Wanda's mind control and has lured her into a protective ring where Wanda isn't able to use magic. And she's real... <laughs> she's a real jerk about it. She's like, Ooh, Wanda, I've got these runes. Don't you know about the runes? She's doing a great job, by the way. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Agatha is confused that Wanda doesn't recognize basic witchcraft and asks who she is. She explains she's been trying to learn more about Wanda and created fake Pietro via possession as a spy to try and get close to her. Okay, so then who is fake Pietro? Called it, by the way. 
Is that literally you just asking us, or do you have your own theory? So I'm just going to ask you first, and then I'll say my theory. Only guess I have is there is just someone in the MCU that looks like Evan Peters. Um, it was meant to be an Easter egg for our own enjoyment, but it's not actually anyone else. It was just one. It was just some dude that uh, she managed to get a hold of. That's that's not necessarily my theory, but I think that's possible. At this point, to me, it feels like a fun, intentional casting choice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're playing with the idea of sitcom recasting. I mean, we, we already got a Bewitched episode, which has one of the most famous sitcom recastings of all time. And they were playing with that idea. And I think they saw that as a way, you know, it wouldn't make sense to have Aaron Taylor Johnson come back because that would, ra- that would raise a ton of questions to anyone. This, yeah, it raised a lot of questions. It got a lot of our minds racing with multiverse theory. And it could still shake out that way. It absolutely could that, you know, she found someone, like she reached through the multiverse and picked someone who has Pietro Maximoff elements and was able to build on top of that. But the simplest solution right now is that she picked a guy, turned him into a fake Pietro, Pietro, and, uh, and... In the real world, they said, let's cast Evan Peters because that's fun. That's going to mess with people's heads. It's a fun Easter egg. But they they wanted to do it in a way that doesn't overcomplicate the mythology for casual viewers. Because you got to remember that there are a ton of people who, you know, maybe they're only MCU fans. They never watched any of the X-Men movies, so they don't get that this is a re- that the casting is a reference, that there were two Quicksilvers. They might have even watched both... All- Yet all the MCU movies, all the X-Men movies, and not realize that they're two versions of the same comic character. I am now immediately doubling back on what I said, because I understand maybe he could be like a Westview resident that she just possessed, just like she did with Herb outside at the wall, like at the fence. But like, he has speed powers. Does he? I think so. Okay. Can can Ag- can Agatha do that? Like maybe I would I would believe it. I would believe it if it was just him doing his speed powers, but he has a couple different moments in the Halloween episode where he grabs Tommy's hand and runs around with him. Yeah. So that's possible. It could be something Agatha's doing or maybe something we might get into later is maybe he's a dude with speed powers. Maybe there are more of those. And that's who Agatha found as a dude with speed powers. Um, Or maybe it's still a multiverse thing. I do, regardless of where we're going, though, I want to give a shout out to the three of you and this podcast in general for just being a bit more cautious about the whole multiverse confirmed thing than most of our, or this is how they're doing mutants. Um, Then I think most people I knew in the real world were basically like confirmed mutants. They're coming through the multiverse. That's how it's happening. Uh, we're definitely yeah, connected. Sometimes it's just a joke. To be fair, you don't know what Eduardo's theory no. is yet. Yeah. <laughs> but Eduardo was more cautious. Maybe he's not cautious anymore as of an... But yeah, you don't know right now. But I, 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 th- I think what, you're, what Robbie I, and I agree with is that even we are open to the idea yes. of it not being mutants. Correct. Like yeah. we might, we might be leaning that way still that that's how it's happening. Right. Uh, we, or, or at the very least we're like, it could be, or it could not be, but it sounds like, and we got to let Eduardo talk. This is like the, only- but it sounds like we are, we're not going to have our hearts ripped out if, if it turns right. out that it's not Peter Maximoff. This is the only X-Men. place I know of where people were not just going confirmed done. It's done. Yeah. It's there now. Let Eduardo talk. I love if those people were trolled. Eduardo interrupt yeah. us. 
I'm going to blow your minds right now, but I don't think that is Pietro Maximoff. Whoa. I know. Crazy. <laughs> You're saying it's a fake Pietro? I am a saying... Pietro? There are, we've done this show. We've done deep dive episodes. We are a deep dive podcast where we talk about all these different theories. And mm-hmm. I think one common thread throughout that is this show, while being complicated because there's a lot of lore and a lot of history, tends continues as I watch every episode to be a lot more simple than I am doing. And that is one by design to be easier to watch for people who don't have to like consume every single bit of content to understand what's going on. And two, uh, because I think it's a better viewing experience just in general. I don't think, Mm -hmm. I think if they tried to do some of this stuff, like introducing the mutants into the multiverse and do too much in the show, it would be, it would be just that too much. And so I don't think this fake Pietro is Pietro at all. There is a possibility, and this is the only possibility that I'll give it, is that he is some sort of other big character because you don't pay Evan Peters that much money just for a cameo. It feels like if they're going to sign Evan Peters and try to get him in this movie, they might have something a little bigger for him. But that's the only possibility I would give. I do not think we get mutants. I don't think we get multiverse. I don't think this is Pietro at all. I think this is a character. It could be an important character, but the stronger possibility at this point is that it's no one. Mm -hmm. Surely there are characters in the Marvel universe that have super speed that are outside of Quicksilver and Tommy. Like, there's Wizard, who they who they initially thought was their father, yeah, uh, but who also was on Jessica Jones with Nuke. Uh, <laughs> no one else was on that show except for David Tennant. I don't know what you guys. Are about. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I just don't, don't want to get in the soapbox too much about about theorizing because we've talked about it ad nauseum. I think over the course of these uh, eight episodes or seven podcast episodes, as far as like speculating about the future. But it is super fun to speculate, but you can't get mad when you, like, you can't decide that your theory is the best theory and right. get upset about when they, when these professional writers come up with a different story. Dang, I hope nobody that watches Star Wars that. is listening to this. Are you talking about Star yeah. Wars? Are you talking uh, about? I, I, a little bit, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but it's, you have to remember that, yeah, as fans, we get, we get caught up in, in a lot of the lore and minutia of the stories, but... But why people are choosing to tell these stories, aside from corporate mandate, is that there is a story they want to tell. There is something they want to say about the human condition, hopefully. And that's why I've kind of harped on the last few episodes, the the themes, the grief, the identity of those themes. Because that, to me, is, I think, what the storytellers are a little bit more interested in talking about. And yeah, they get to draw from all this comic lore. They get to draw from everything that we've seen in the MCU so far and even playing with other film series and and with the, the tropes of the sitcoms. But they're doing all of that as a service to the larger story that they are telling about Wanda Maximoff right now. And And I think that you need to be able to sit back and enjoy that story and let that story move you. And not be upset when it doesn't end with her saying, no, more mutants. The worst thing in theory videos is when the word obviously is used. And then you just go from there. Like, what? no, yeah. no, hold on. That's not obvious. Obviously, this is going to happen. Wait, what? This, is, will, certainly, this will certainly mean that. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe and, not. Like, the, the problem with theory is that I don't know if you guys do this, but when I start theorizing things, 
I theorize something and I go, no, wait, that's too simple. It has to be that they're doing this. And then suddenly that becomes too simple. And suddenly I'm running into a triangle of, no, they can't do this because they would think I'm thinking this. So they want me to think this. But what if they know that I'm thinking that's not it and they're really just at the beginning? And I do think that there is a little bit of that in play where they're writing these episodes and putting them together and they know how our minds are going to work. I think Evan Peters is a good example of it. I think another example that Angela and I talked about when we we watched it this morning was you first see Wanda's mother from behind. And when she's about to turn around, you're expecting it to be the lady from the commercial, (laughs) like from all the commercials. And then it's not. And I almost feel like that they were setting that up a face reveal just so that everyone that they're like, people are going to think those are her parents. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. We don't really get that answer of who those people might be. Sometimes, as uh, Freud once said, maybe he said this. I don't actually know if he did or didn't. Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. I'm starting to think they're just Westview <laughs> residents who their job is yeah. to be the commercial people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They just stand around until they need a commercial? Right. Yeah. right. I mean, that's better oh than some God. of the other people who just stand around. Yeah. yeah. Oh boy. I hope you're right about that. Yeah, that's why that's why I've been holding out hope that Ralph is nobody, that there is no Ralph. It's just she made up a husband because I'm now certain there's comes... no Ralph. Yeah, like I'm I'm fairly certain. And uh, sorry, or... everyone. I don't think Mephisto's showing up. I don't think Nightmare is showing up. I think Agatha is acting on her own behalf. But Master Pandemonium can still be in. You know, I mean, we can hope. I certainly hope that the Multiverse of Madness is all about Master Pandemonium the greatest marvel villain of all time <laughs> with his child with baby's friends <laughs> to be captain fair, baby I, hands coming at you if they actually did a man with baby's hands as a villain in the MCU, i would be legitimately terrified i feel like i feel like captain put him on the poster is something that star lord would call him if they met up <laughs> Dance off, baby. It's me and you. Agatha says she was drawn to Westview by the power of the spells Wanda is using to create giant, detailed illusions on autopilot and wants to know how she's doing it. When Wanda tells her she doesn't know, Agatha creates a door to Wanda's past, hoping it will explain things and threatens Wanda's children if she doesn't help. The door opens to Wanda's childhood apartment in Sokovia. The Maximov's loving father brings home a collection of sitcom DVDs for television night, which the family uses to practice English. As war rages outside, Wanda shows off a love of sitcoms and a categorical knowledge of their show Dick Van Dyke in particular. The parents sit together on the couch while Wanda is enthralled in the show, and suddenly the happy moment is interrupted with an explosion. Did any of you poop your pants when this happened? I knew it was coming, and I still did. I didn't know it was coming, oh. and I'm sitting there watching it, and I was, oh, God. Oh, I was certain that scene was going to be the bomb scene. The way that they do it was very uh, jump scare yes. a la car scene in Haunting of Hill House. Yes. Where you're just sitting there expecting them. like You're eased into the emotional moment. Yes, there's a scene where the mom looks outside and you see a war is going on. So you expect that, okay, this is this is the point of origin of the bad things that are going to start for Wanda, but you don't expect the scene of everything getting blown yep. to smithereens and then nothing actually got blown to smithereens. Well, yeah. things did, but the kids didn't. I expected yeah. we were going to have, you know, oh no, it's a bomb, or, you know, we were going to hear a whistling sound or something. I was expecting that to be the scene where there was an explosion. I wasn't expecting it just 
the hefty music suddenly to just be just interrupted with no warning. I was not mm-hmm. braced for that. So yes, Eduardo, I did. Okay. So we know that the Mind Stone amplified her powers, but that amplified her powers to be able to create things on a neighborhood-wide scale, right? Mm-hmm. But before that, she just had her regular powers, apparently. Mm-hmm. What if she had been using all her powers all along, and those aren't her real parents? What? Okay. Oh, so so Magneto can be her dad? Yeah, like, what if they... Uh, look, I know you guys said we're done theorizing, and I don't think this is actually true. Yeah. What if? Can you say that in a way that a three-year-old would understand? So Wanda has the power of creation, right? So that's, like, yeah. her thing. She can create things, right? That's what at least what Agatha says later on. Um, yeah. And we've known she has... She's had these powers since birth, apparently. And all the Mind Stone did was amplify her powers. So she has been able to do minor illusions without knowing it for a long time. She just hasn't been able to do citywide creation, right? Sure. So it stands to reason when she was that young, she could probably conjure some small things like one or two people. I think a person is in a small thing. I mean, I think, I think conjuring a small thing now, is like if I make a, a pull a coin out from behind your ear. Yeah, but compared to what she's doing now, it seems like a small thing. Look, once again, not saying yeah. it's true because it's not. But <laughs> my only going back to what you were saying about sometimes simple is better in the story. Oh, no, it's, no, like I said, this is not true. Oh yeah, yeah, it's this is so definitely not happening. I just want to like I want I just want to get our listeners to make sure that they don't start believing this either. <laughs> you know? I don't think any of our listeners are dumb enough to believe any of my theories. Those guys <laughs> on that podcast about Marvel said that Wanda made her parents up. Yeah. <laughs> I think our listeners are much smarter than to agree with me about almost anything. Oh, come on yes. now. Not anything. You you, you don't even agree with that statement though, so that doesn't count. <laughs> Yeah, you're saying this like, like, what if? I'm like, you're saying it to get it on the record, even though you know it's not true. Kind of like me saying <laughs> that that Fiatro is actually Deadpool. You know, I know that's not actually going to happen, but I had to say it just in case it is right. Right, that's <laughs> a good point. Just so you can call yeah. it, just like it's surveillance story, on the wall. But... Exactly. Yeah. More problem. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. The, the um, <laughs> the the reason I think that we will hopefully, in my in my opinion, I'm hopeful that we will never get a retcon about her parents is that one, it's complicated Two, It kind of, I guess not really because she was still raised by these people, but it's a very tragic moment, a formative moment when she loses her parents to this bomb and the, and yes, since they raised her, they are her parents, but for them to be like, but surprise, you have magical powers because your real parents were actually, these other people uh it just that turns that into a plot thing and not a story thing and then magneto flies in and goes wanda that sokovian man might be your father but he ain't (laughs) your daddy (laughs) yes that'd be metal as fuck (laughs) well that's his whole thing (laughs) that was the one two we gave him the one two punch there chris (laughs) the old one two two. like Like this A visual gag for only three of us. (laughs) With their parents crushed under the rubble, Wanda and Pietro hide under the table while a Stark Industries bomb falls in front of them. A light just like the toaster in episode one blinks slowly while the bomb sits there. Once again, it was a goddamn Stark that set off everything that happens 
We mm-hmm. are still in everything is Stark's fault. Yeah. This is not once again. This is the story. Yeah, we've we've always known <laughs> this was Stark, but still. But I'm just saying. Yeah. Once again, it was a Stark that created yeah. the mess that we are currently in. Yeah. I I really hope that they go back and pull a George Lucas on Age of Ultron, or they add a, a you know deleted lines where when Ultron asks about why they join Hydra, that they add in a line, "Well, we were watching Dick Van Dyke." And then, and then the rest of the scene plays out exactly as it did before. <laughs> the Dick Van Dyke show is still playing on the TV, and Wanda says, at the end of the episode, it was all just a bad dream. As she reaches out to the bomb, Agnes pulls her out of the memory. Agnes, t- Agnes tells Wanda she stopped the bomb with a probability hex. Hey! I freaked out when I heard her say that. Uh-huh. Me too. <laughs> Wanda denies it, but Agatha insists Wanda was a young witch just starting to unlock her powers, but wants to know where she reached her current power level. So Wanda can, we find out at the end of the episode, can create things, right? She can, like, mm-hmm. create anything, including probably her own children, including Vision. She created Vision. How far do these powers stretch? Where do they go? We already It's already been illustrated to us that Vision can't leave the bubble or else he gets destroyed into a million bajillion pieces also we're gonna get to it a little later i don't think anybody wrote anything down about it but the second hayward is talking to wanda and he's like you're the only one that could bring the vision back to life how would he know that yeah right i had how that would he thought, know that I, yeah uh, uh... I, I took it as he's just making an assumption, but... Uh, How would he assume uh, that? All he knows is she can move large things and make them... Right. Like That's that's as far as he knows about what Wanda can do. That's as far yeah. as anyone knew. Eduardo, you're asking how far her powers can go. We know that there is a limit to the projection she can make, which I guess that's what we're calling this, a projection, just a tangible projection. Um, is tangible projection an oxymoron? Anyway... That's when you buy a piece of merchandise at Walt Disney World. It's called a tangible projection. Got it. <laughs> Enjoy that joke. <laughs> we have lots of listeners that will understand what, what that means. That is a very, very deep cut. One Don't th- say Peach has never did anything for you. One thing we know <laughs> is she is able to project her powers in a way farther than that because we know that the people in Westview the people outside of Westview don't know that they exist. So, yeah. So she's able to do more than just what we see in the hex. Now, I don't know to get to your deeper question about what happens to the twins. I don't know. I don't know if that means they can survive outside the hex, but clearly she's able to reach out farther than just what we, the size of Westview. They might be interesting though, because we know that currently the vision inside Westview can't leave without dying. But if the twins were not created in the same way that vision was at the end of this episode, if, if they were actually created via like a conception, they might have like a little bit of column a little bit of column B where, because they are Wanda partially, maybe they can leave and he can't. I think because we have already seen vision as a synthesoid who he is, I don't think it is a conception. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I mean, it, it, well, it, it, if Joss Whedon had gotten his way, <laughs> it'd be a an age of Ultron. 
It would be a stretch. That's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, I get it. it would be a stretch. Okay. Uh, well, look, I... Reed Richards is not showing up. Please stop. <laughs> <laughs> also, though, your point about Hayward, like, I know that we and the internet have speculated that he is not who he says he is either. And so I'm not going to get on a, a big, I'm not going to get on that bandwagon because I don't actually have enough information, but we still don't really know what his motive is. Why does he want to rebuild vision who hurt him so that to turn him into a bad guy, you know, like why is he trying to do whatever it is he's trying to do? And why did he lie about Wanda taking vision's corpse in the first place? Mm -hmm. Well, that that was simple manipulation, which was so dirty. That's so dirty. I had things that I will say about that scene later. Um, but that I think that's what pushed him over the edge into unambiguous villain. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I already, I already mm-hmm. hated him and thought he was a villain. Uh, but I thought that up until that point, he was just a villain whose motives I know are wrong. Like his goals are wrong. That that's what made him a villain. There, he was an antagonist uh, who was kind of a jerk. Mm-hmm. That was like that is that is a problem thing that he has done. And I'll, I'll, again, I will talk about that later because that that. that Feeds into one of my bigger points. I don't see what what plot could have happened with with Hayward that we don't yet know about. That would have been similar to like the Tony Stark route. Like, well, I think he's been hardened by the blip. I think that's part of it. Yes, I maybe that as someone who is part of Sword, sentient weapon observation and response division, or, or whatever that stands for, and if you were a survivor, mm-hmm. like if you were one of the ones that was. Oh god! Right, if, if you were the kid on the island with the dogurt. Yeah, if, yeah. If you were, if you survived Thanos' snap, and you had to live for five years in this forever changed world, now that there are threats out there in the universe that have the power to just make half of all life in the universe vanish, and you're already in an organization like that. That, I think, can radicalize you and militarize you. I mean, he got upset. Like, he used the fact that Wanda and Pietro were radicalized by their situation as a point against them, as, like, here's why you shouldn't trust Wanda Maximoff. But the same thing has happened to him, if you think about it. If if this is what has... If, if the blip is what turned him, like, into, like, I need this weapon. And he, and he views the vision as a weapon. Like, mm-hmm. that's... Whereas Wanda sees him as a human, and the other Avengers saw him as a human, a person. Uh, yeah, he's an unconventional person, but he was still a person with his own motivations, his own feelings. And, and he had feelings, too. And they, they certainly grew over time, his ability to understand these emotions, but, but he had them. He was as much a real person as Steve Rogers or Tony Stark or any of them. But... Hayward doesn't see it that way. Hayward, uh, you know, Vision is the most advanced sentient weapon we've ever had. And if I could build an army of Visions, or if I even had one Vision to help protect us from these threats, then good. You know, that's how he sees it. And of course, whenever you try to do something like that, it's going to backfire on you. So we'll see next time exactly what happens with this white Vision. But I think that is... I think that it's just as simple. It's not necessarily an evil plan. I'm going to do this to get the vision. It's just his plan that will inevitably end in evil. And it has made him do some evil things like lying about Wanda. 
but he's a, I think he's a very the ends justify the means yes. kind of person. Right. Yeah, he's not like mustache twirling villain and I'm going to conquer the world or I'm going to kill the he's a he's a like you said hardened and his ends are justifying his means of what he think needs to be done. And if he was the kind of person that was elevated to director of uh, director of sword, uh, that means that Monica Rambeau trusted him to an extent, or, yes. or and Maria. I meant Maria, yes. but Monica as well. Yes. I think. No, Monica clearly thought highly of him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she came back to work for him. She was all for it, and it was only later on when she saw that she had the empathy for Wanda that he lacked that she's starting to not distrust him. And I think five years ago, I think before the events of Infinity War, he was probably a model sword agent, probably exactly the kind of man that you would say, all right, you know, he would be a great director for this. Right. A new door appears, and Wanda and Agatha go to the Hydra base, where Wanda volunteered for testing with the Mind Stone. Wanda is brought into a chamber with Loki's scepter under the observation of Hydra scientists, who established no one has survived the experiment. She pulls the stone from the scepter and is able to see into the mind stone inside. Its power surrounds her and she sees a vision of a silhouette dressed in a scarlet witch costume before passing out. That was interesting. I mean, we, we're we going to get it by the end of the show, right? Like, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that what that was? I could yeah. not tell what that silhouette yeah, was. Yeah, that was, that was yes. the silhouette of the scarlet witch. Uh, like, kind of a more comics. modern costume where she's got like the trench coat, and the, but still with the, the horn mask. Yeah. As Wanda watches the Brady Bunch in her cell, the Hydra scientists are unable to see what happened to Wanda with the stone, as it was mysteriously edited from the footage, just like the episode of WandaVision from the Hex. Agatha begins to surmise Wanda had latent powers that allowed her to survive and were amplified by encountering an Infinity Stone. Agatha and Wanda next go to Avengers Compound following Pietro's death. A despondent Wanda is, match- is watching Malcolm in the middle and is interrupted by Vision, who sits to watch with her. The two. Dis- oh, I'm sorry. I, I I meant to say something real quick about when she's watching the Brady Bunch. Mm-hmm. I thought the choice of that episode was interesting. And that scene in particular, it's Cindy taking care of her doll. And is Bobby the youngest Brady boy? Peter? I don't know. Yes. Yeah, I forget. Youngest Brady boy is making fun of her. And he's like, that's just stuffing and sawdust and and other thing. But to Cindy, it's a real, you know, something to care about. As opposed to wires and vibranium. Exactly. And and, and I, I think that's a kind of obvious symbolism, but I, I didn't want to pass by without pointing that out. I think that that was just an interesting choice for what she's watching. Uh, and when you compare it with a couple of scenes later, how she talks about the vision versus how Hayward talks about the vision. The two discuss Wanda's grief and bond over the show. Vision tries in vain to comfort Wanda, though she softens eventually and opens up to him. Vision says one of the best lines, I think, just in modern television. It was so good. What is grief if not love persevering? Like, Jesus, Mm -hmm. let's just pack it up and go home. All Mm -hmm. other screenwriters, just pack it up and go home. That was a really good line. And And I think it's a line that I, I feel like a lot of people are going to find comfort in that mm-hmm. line. And I've, I've heard similar things said about grief before. Uh, one I've heard before, which is a little bit sadder, is grief is love that doesn't know where it's supposed to go anymore. Uh, which, that one is sadder. But love persevering, like, you know, when he says that grief, you know, she's talking about the waves coming at her. and And I think all of us have 
grieved someone mm-hmm. at some point. And you, you know what it's like where you'll be fine for a while and then it just hits you mm-hmm. again and you can't do anything. And when he says it's not, it can't be all bad, right? Over time, the miss I mean, it will always hurt a little bit, but you stop, not, not 100% and not always, but there will be times when it doesn't hurt as much because you're remembering the feeling of being with that right. person. And it stops being, and in the moment and early on, it is definitely every time you think of good things, that makes you feel bad because then you remember the good things aren't happening anymore. They can't happen anymore. They're gone. And over yeah. time, it starts being, it is just the good things rather than being that good things are done. It's, it becomes yeah. that good things happened rather than good things can't happen anymore. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's like a much deeper and I think more real version than don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Like that, that feels a little trite. This, you know, mm-hmm. the idea of, you know, just reframing grief as love. That, that loss cannot destroy that love is... You know, I, I think, you know, again, I think it's a line that is going to help a lot of people who are dealing with grief. They're going to remember the thing that the, the robot said to the witch while they were watching Malcolm in the middle. And it's going to it's going to help just a little bit. Well, I think it speaks to what we talked about earlier, the simplicity of the show. And once again, the show is not simple because we're talking about a witch talking to a robot from a a universe that she created that she is currently being shown her past to by another witch. None of that Mm, seems uh, simple. 400-year-old witch. Right. None of that seems simple. But at its core, it's about the cones. Sorry. At its core, (laughs) (laughs) it is – it's – it's – it's about grief. It's about loss. It's about acceptance. It's about very simple themes that most people can relate to. And I think that's the strength, right? That it, it doesn't need to be overly complicated to give you something to be interested in. You are interested in because you can relate to Wanda. You understand what she's going through. And it is catharsis. It is a story about mental health. It is a story about grief. It is a story about loss. It is a story about uh, acceptance afterwards it, it, you know it's a it's the whole process right yeah. and this is what marvel has been about since the 60s it's you, you have these incredibly powerful people who can do these incredible amazing things but they go through all the same stuff that normal people go through yeah. and it's people often and i think it's a bit of an oversimplification to say this because it's certainly evolved over the years but people compare Marvel and DC, and they say that DC is about gods. You know, they you know the these superheroes are these godlike figures, and the Marvel heroes were more human in a lot of ways and a little more relatable. And and again, I don't think that's a necessarily cut and dry comparison, but but in a lot of ways it fits. But but I think that has been the secret to Marvel's enduring success. You know, from the I mean, obviously they've existed since the '40s in some form or another, but really became Marvel in the in the '60s, the modern Marvel universe as we know it, with the Fantastic Four, and you know, just you know, taking these figures who could be unknowable gods and making them relatable on a human level, I think that is a really great 
vehicle for stories that move us. And it's why I think it's unfair not to go all macro on this, but when people write off the MCU as just a corporate exercise that's just to get you to watch the next movie. And I kind of joked about this earlier today. We were talking in the group chat. I said, this show has made me more excited. And I was already excited for this, but I am more excited for the Doctor Strange movie now because I know Wanda's involved. And this show has made me really love Wanda Maximoff in a way that the other movies hadn't, you know, I always thought she was cool, but I didn't like deeply care about her the way I do now, having gone through and seen this story so far, I am like very heavily invested in Wanda's story now. We rewatched Endgame the other day. We rewatched Endgame that the other day in that moment where she shows up in the finale with the "You took everything from me." Like it's funny because now, in retrospect, which there should be a podcast about this sort of concept. In retrospect, that moment like it hits even harder. Mm-hmm. Like she has, she was already a character I was interested in. I agree with you about Multiverse of Madness. Uh, already the movie I was most looking forward to. Now I'm more looking forward to. It has also, this show has improved. Because she's not out of character. They haven't changed the character. They've just added to the character in a way that when I go yeah. back, it means even more seeing her moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've really deepened. Mm-hmm. And, and Vision as well. I don't want to write off Vision, but this is Wanda's show. This is absolutely Wanda's mm-hmm. show. I know that they reverse the credits each episode on on which one on elizabeth olsen or paul bettany which one gets top billing but this is wanda's show it's not vision wanda no no (laughs) who'd watch a show called vision wanda come on (laughs) eventually wanda cracks a smile and laughs and the two make meaningful eye contact as the memory ends agatha agatha wipes away a tear oh you were about to say that weren't you i'm sorry no go ahead no, okay. I just just noticing that Agatha actually wipes away a tear after that. watching this. I did not. Yeah, I didn't and she's standing behind Wanda too, so it's not like she's doing it to mock her. Like you get a, a moment where she just kind of does this, uh, you know, just kind of wipes something away from her That's relevant to something we're about to talk out talk about. Yeah, and, I no, thought no. that she was looking more. I have to go watch it a third time because <laughs> what I remember is seeing her kind of have like one of those. Ew, David looks on her face like, "Ooh, sappy shit." Yeah. I didn't want to watch. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I remember. Yeah, and, and maybe it is, but well, I'm she's not out. really doing. It's not since Wanda is not watching her at this moment, and Wanda is, you know, genuinely crying. It, it's it's ambiguous. I, I would say it, you could view it as mocking, but if it is mocking, is she just kind of doing it for herself because, like, ew, gross? But I don't know it also could be read as her genuinely wiping away tear, but then like. Switching into, okay, hang on, I gotta keep questioning her because I need to know what's going on. Sure. I like that better with my Agatha thoughts anyway, so. Yeah. Agatha continues to press Wanda for information on how she accomplishes her spell, insisting Wanda wanted Vision back and opening a door to the sword base. Also, for just a moment, I understand that we're dealing with grief and all of this, but it is somehow comforting to see a healthy relationship like presented on screen like the relationship wanda and vision have although they are having whatever issues they're having with the 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 grief of losing vision that scene of wanda and vision together was a a healthy relationship right it was a partners that cared about each other and that's a wonderful thing to see in 
in television because a lot of the time because of the, the the nature of stories and we usually get broken relationships and unhealthy one-sided ones or ones where there is mm-hmm. a partner who is uh, uh, manipulative or abusive or something along those lines but this is this is a healthy exchange of information and emotion yes. um, and it's it's comforting yeah I think that a lot of times when shows have unresolved sexual tension between two characters, a lot of times people say that the show jumps the shark after they finally get together. Like and the or example of that is Moonlighting back in the eighties, when the two lead characters finally became romantic, people felt like the show wasn't good anymore because there wasn't that tension, there wasn't that conflict. But you can absolutely pair up characters and have the show still be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Parks and Rec is the first one that comes to mind for me. Mm-hmm. That. I, the show didn't get bad when Ben and Leslie got together and when they were finally able to get married and just have their happy right. relationship. Because if you have strong enough writers, you can write a good relationship and still have it be entertaining to watch without it being fighting all the time. You know, I was going to say the same thing, but about Andy and April, and maybe that's just the way that we see ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> you just see yourself as a Ben and Leslie, and I see myself as an Andy and April I think you are 100% right about that, because <laughs> we have definitely made that comparison about ourselves before. Um, I think I'm a Jerry. No, I'm not oh, a no. Jerry. Shut up. Right. Is it Jerry with an I, or? <laughs> <laughs> it's Gary with a G. Never mind. Yeah. Danny, enjoy that joke. Yeah. You're going to be the only one that gets that one. Um. <laughs> Agatha continues to press Wanda for information on how she accomplished her spell, insisting Wanda wanted Vision back and opening a door to the sword base. Now, Peaches. Peachman. Peachicles. Peacherston. Peachman. Peach Peach. Hey. Peachicles. 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 There is still, you're saying there's a chance that Agatha, while it was her that was messing up things in the hex, she was doing it for Wanda's benefit? Oh, um, no, not exactly. Okay, um, say what you're going to say. <laughs> strange place for this, but I'll do it anyway. Okay, so um, I, I can't jump off of the Agatha, Agatha train. I know that that's what I talk about every episode. I am predictable at this point. Listen, there's only one more episode of WandaVision, so there's really only one more, probably, there's only one more opportunity for me to talk about Agatha after this. So you won't have to listen to me for that much longer. Unless, <laughs> unless, um, but anyways, I have this feeling that, and Eduardo said this last episode, and I agreed. I think maybe to an extent we all did that. I don't think Agatha is like truly the bad guy. I don't think Agatha is. I think more so than that. I feel like it makes more sense for her to become an ally, and not just because of what we know from the comics right in the comics we know her unless she's a seven-headed dragon we know her as an ally of the heroes to some extent right to the fantastic four to scarlet witch etc um i feel like why do we bother showing this scene of agatha in the 1600s being persecuted by other witches why do we bother showing this scene and her asking for training you know they're going to take away her witch powers presumably or they're going to just kill her i don't really know what they were going for but she asks i can i would like to be trained i don't know how to control this power and they ignore her plea and they say no we're just gonna take it away or kill you or whatever it is 
I think it would be good writing if, you know, she's, she's on this journey with Wanda to try to figure out what Wanda is doing, how she's doing it, who she actually is. Wanda doesn't know. And as Agatha, Agatha is going through these different episodes, are you Scotty doesn't knowing Agatha? No, no, that's certainly not why I was bopping back and forth when you said Wanda doesn't know. <laughs> Thought I could get away with that. Wanda no, that vision and me do it in Westview every Sunday. Okay, uh, I should have said Friday. I really messed that up. The point is, Agatha is taking Wanda on this journey through her memories because Agatha wants to know how Wanda is doing all this and what Wanda is and who Wanda is. And by the end, she figures out that Wanda doesn't even really know. Wanda wasn't lying. She just doesn't know what to tell Agatha. Like, I didn't know I stopped this bomb with probability hex magic. I didn't know that the Mind Stone amplified powers I already had. She was not aware of any of this. She probably assumed the whole time that she got everything she has via the Mind Stone with Hydra. So I think it would be good writing if by the end of this series, there is some level of sympathy that Agatha has for Wanda when she thinks back to her past, when she was almost murdered by these other witches, when she asked for training and couldn't get it. If that is how we get Agatha in this mentor role, because Wanda says, you know, I don't know how to, I don't know what to do with my hands, right? I don't know how to control this power. Clearly, Agatha knows how to control a lot of powers that that Wanda might have and not know. And I think she could flip that switch and say, this, this wish wasn't granted for me, but I will grant this wish for you. I will help you learn how to use this power properly. And maybe that's how things turn around. And like, yeah, we get the song at the end of the, the last episode. It was Agatha all along. But how many of those things that Agatha did were actually bad? None of them were really bad. She was just trying to get information. Counterpoint, you know? she killed a dog. She did, but uh, yeah. but hold for a second. She killed Sparky. But at this point, she knows that Vision is actually dead. And she's seeing him in this town. So she's trying to figure out how Wanda brought him back to life, and, which was why in that scene. No, I'm saying okay. that you shut your mouth. <laughs> as long why, as someone says it. Yes, it's why in this scene in three episodes ago, when the dog is found dead and the kids are about to age themselves up to run away from their grief, Wanda says, I can't do that. And Agatha's response is, you can't. It wasn't what we Click. initially thought of. It was her putting the puzzle pieces together saying, well, then I don't fucking know how you brought vision back to life because you can't bring this dog. She mm. was using that dog as a test to see if Wanda could reanimate life. And what if it wasn't a dog? What if it was a transfigured cicada or right. something? And I right. Was, it could have been anything. Does that justify it a little so bit? <laughs> stuck on that moment where she says, you can do that. And that reaction was very different and it was interesting and I thought for sure it must mean something. And then it kind of forgotten to until this moment. I think you're completely correct. Yeah. If you think about that from the point of view of Agatha being a detective and trying to figure out how Wanda's doing all of this. And I didn't even think about that cicada thing. That's really smart. Sparky didn't exist as far as we knew in the neighborhood until that episode. So mm. she could have turned a bug into a dog, you know, killed it. And then 
use that as a test to see if Wanda could have brought it back to life. When Wanda said she couldn't, that's when she was like, all right, well, I guess we're going to keep digging. We're going to go back to the drawing board. Yeah. Um, so all that to say, I still think there's a possibility that Agatha doesn't stay bad. It might be mostly driven by the fact that I really like Catherine Hahn and I want her to continue being a part of the MCU in a capacity that is great. And here is an alternate theory mm-hmm. <laughs> that will, that will could conspire if everything that we just talked about is completely wrong. Soundlord mentioned last episode that th- the character in the Marvel comics named Lore, and then we talked about how maybe Agatha is a mashup of Agatha and Lore. That scene in the very beginning where she is um, attempted to be murdered or attempted to be drained of powers and then the spell reverses, that is kind of like what Lore does, like you described, right? She steals other people's powers. Yes. So that that could be an example of that power in action. If Agatha does end up being bad and she says that Scarlet that, that Wanda's dangerous and needs to be stopped, she might be trying to drain Wanda of her powers so that she doesn't do anything crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we see that if that scene in the beginning, if she is this mashup of Agatha Harkness and Lore, that scene in the beginning could make a lot more sense that she accidentally drained the other witches of all of their powers and then maybe accumulated them. But I like my first theory better. Yeah. So I'm glad you said all that because some of that was stuff that I was wondering if a, am I the only one that caught it? B, if I'm the only one that caught it, am I wrong and insane? So I (laughs) said everything I was thinking. Um, So what I'm going to say is I completely agree. Uh, The only thing I can add is we talked about at the start of this, how much they're pulling from the comics. Like they're doing, they're doing their own story, but they are absolutely taking bits and pieces of these characters and their stories from the comics. And so it has felt strange to me if they're making Agatha a straight up villain, it's almost like they made her an original character and that hasn't felt like their MO at any point. And it felt weird if they were going to introduce Agatha, but completely abandon the idea of Agatha training Wanda. And so I think you're right because I think in addition to everything you just said, I think that's, I think that's the way the creators want to go with Agatha is she will help Wanda unlock her untapped potential Te- first off teach her that she is a witch second teach her how to witch now that said i'm not, don't think agatha is teach like me how to witch teach teach me how to witch that's <laughs> said, I, don't think, I don't think agatha is a hero i just don't think she is a villain i think she's more of a self-interested third party who's here to advance one of the characters um i think it's absolutely possible that she will end up helping against um hayward and sword but again, not necessarily, yes. not so much like, well, I'm one of the Avengers now, but more of this suits her, Chaotic her to help Wanda, to help Wanda. Um, she's almost more of a Loki-ish force. I would say maybe if we're thinking about Loki has kind of become, he's not a hero, but he's not the straight villain that he was when he was first introduced. Yeah. Well, and, kind of and all of this is interesting because it hinges on one more episode of Undetermined Length. Mm-hmm hopefully an hour like the internet keeps saying all of the last episodes of them and we end we end with agatha holding the children hostage Mm -hmm. so 
it's interesting if if all of this does come true in some capacity right. because there has to be some turning point of I'm no I am sorry for holding your children hostage. Let me help you. I don't think that's necessary. <laughs> Loki's done way worse. I don't think that's necessary. Yeah. I don't think yeah. we're necessarily gonna have she and Wanda are friends. I don't think we're gonna have Wanda's like, oh, it's okay that you had my children, who may be fake, so maybe that's how we do it. It's okay that you had my children in a in a in a been hung up by evil purple cords. It could just be she helps Wanda gets where Wanda needs to be for resolution, but that does not mean that she and Wanda are buddies at the end of this. More sure, like they yeah. go their separate ways, both got what they want and needed. Um, also, what I will add to the Sparky point, Agatha knew Sparky was there. Agatha walked in with that doghouse. So I think you can add to your Sparky point of Agatha probably sent Sparky. Like, not just, like, yeah. not just that they found a dog and Agatha used it for her purposes. Agatha sent them a dog hoping yes. to eventually set up this scenario. I am, I am 200% confident that that was an experiment yes. completely conducted by Agatha yeah. to test resurrection powers. yeah i you had some fantastic points I, I if i was not already convinced you would have convinced me okay wahoo well what yeah. does she mean so uh, directly after the show last week i got a message from my pal adrian and a couple days later we got a we got a message on facebook from listener of the show bram who showed us a, a twitter a tweet a twitter a tweet that had um the audio that wanda uh the producer Wanda is talking to in the talking head, it has the audio tuned up and it is Agatha's voice mm -hmm. that asks her, is this what you think you deserve? I mean, that's sometimes, listen, man, I, I don't want to get too deep into it, but like sometimes I'm not saying that Agatha is her therapist. You know, she is playing the role of an interviewer, but sometimes like in therapy, you're a therapist who is licensed to do these sort of things will ask you questions like that. And it's not for you to say like, God, yeah, I'm the worst. I deserve all of this. It's for you to start critically thinking about things like, actually, wait a second. Now that I am thinking about this, you're right. No, I don't deserve any of this. Mm -hmm. I deserve happiness. I deserve good things to happen to me. I like, I don't think it was necessarily a rude thing that she asked even though it kind of came off as rude it could just be like a why do you why do you feel this way like do you think that you deserve to feel this way yeah there like, should be a follow-up question to that well why do you think you deserve it well, and right. then you start probing that and if agatha is just trying to get to the bottom right. of why all this is happening i mean that's a valid question in that sense too of do you think that this is what you deserve because she's trying to figure out, is this why that's happening? Because you're, you're and in, trying to figure out. And in this episode, she probes that. She does. There is a moment in this episode where she probes Wanda's feelings when she asks her to kind of expand on what she said to Fietro about, um, you know, just feeling emptiness and grief. And I think that's potentially what she was doing in that moment is trying to get towards what are your emotions? Is that where this power is coming from? Yeah, I, I think... Her being in detective mode basically the whole show, and we know that at this point, is that she she is playing Arkham Asylum and she's yeah. activated detective mode. Everyone looks like I, a silhouette. I, I almost feel like that was more of a probing. Because listen, if you're spending, we don't know the actual length of time. So for the sake of this argument, let's just say that time is measured in episodes. For seven episodes, Agatha has been trying to figure out what it is wanda's doing and has basically come up short for six episodes straight so 
you might reasonably get a little frustrated and ask your question in a way that comes off as rude. If you have spent six and a half episodes trying to figure out what's going on. And then you say, well, do you think that you deserve this? Like, just give me some information, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, this whole exercise that they're going through this clip show that they're doing of what happened in Wanda's life that led to this moment. Uh, an interesting thing about it is at the beginning, we, we know that, Watching television, watching the sitcoms is a calming therapeutic thing for Wanda, even if it's just her taking her mind off of all the problems in her life. It, it is a brief thing that get, brings her happiness. That's why so many of these episodes have ended with them sitting down to watch TV. And we're, we're led to believe when this starts out and they walk through the door that Wanda's going to be watching these memories. And then Agatha's like, no, that's your cue. You have to get in there and participate in these memories. Which, on the one hand, maybe that's a little cruel to make her relive them, not just as a passive viewer, but as an active participant. But in other ways, maybe that is actually therapeutic and cathartic for her in a way to relive these memories and start putting the pieces together or having Agatha put the pieces together for her to realize how she got here. Do we know that Agatha does not have a thera a therapist license? Like, <laughs> I mean, wait a minute. Practicing. She was, in the Ultimate Universe, she was a psychiatrist. Yeah, she seems to know how to guide Wanda through grief pretty well. Yeah, yeah, she's not the nicest about it, but her methods are quite possibly bearing fruit in some ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I go back and forth, because I was a proponent of the theory back in the beginning that Agnes was Agatha, and that she was there to guide Wanda or protect her. And she even has a line in this very episode uh, where she says... I've been try I thought I tried to nudge you away to, uh, from your fantasy life to get you to face your truth. She was trying to end WandaVision to get her to realize what was actually happening. Mm -hmm. That doesn't sound like someone who was manipulating her for her own ends. Well, no. well, possibly. It does to no. me. It does sound like she's manipulating her towards her own ends. However, her own ends can also be beneficial to Wanda at the same time. Yeah, if her ends are, I want to teach you how to handle your powers, good. If her ends are, I want your powers, right. bad. If her if her ends are, I think that you are a threat to this world and I need to stop you, not great, mm -hmm. but not evil. Right. It's kind of like, um, I've been playing the 2018 God of War, and uh, Agatha's motivation here could almost be like, every time you need to help someone, or there's someone you could potentially help, help kratos in that game is constantly um you know well no they are in our way we will not help them unless or i helped you because you were in my way that is only why he's not as mouthy as agatha but it's potentially the same thing where yeah okay whatever i need this from you so here's me helping you break up your awful reality that has enslaved an entire town not to be but, specific but shorter stories those are i think the three for me the three most likely scenarios of what agatha is really trying to get at here uh, one is perhaps a noble goal, but bad because we like Wanda. <laughs> uh, just as from our perspective as viewers who have watched her grow over several movies up to this point, and then this entire television series. One is bad because it's bad, and then one is just good, hopefully. But it'll be interesting to see, because it could be a secret fourth option that, that we're not thinking of, because that's happened many times throughout the series so far, too. Uh, the the only thing that really gives me pause about you know that keeps me from 100 percent going all in on I still think Agatha's good 
I hope she's good, and I think that it is a plausible scenario. But it's that song. It's that damn catchy song. Because she killed the dog, and they describe her as evil throughout the entire song. And she's singing along to it. You know, who's been pulling every evil string? But... If it is Wanda's show, then Wanda may have made up the show and thinks that Agatha is evil and wrote the lyrics. But we see that Agatha is the one that causes the spell into Wanda's eyes that shows her the theme song. Yeah, she reveals it with her purple magic. Ah, Fine. I know that one was a stretch. Wait, make it a super stretch. (laughs) (laughs) I love that idea. Yeah, I think I'm... (laughs) with chris a little more i want agatha to be good but i do think she's i do think she's evil because i mean we get that scene at the very beginning of her being like i want to be good like show me how to be good and the mother going you'll never be anything but evil and that could be her like having like an arc turning good and stuff but i don't think we have enough time to give agatha a full arc at this point Mm. now that we know who she is in this show no but if we keep her in the mcu Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is a chance. I think that Wanda and Agatha realize that they can make each other better. Maybe Wanda can help Agatha tap into the good that she can be. Because that that opening scene in Salem, it's so ambiguous the way it's played. Because sometimes she's smirking and sometimes she's pleading, and you can't tell which one is an act and which one is really her. Or uh, Angela even said maybe it's a Gollum Smeagol situation where the magic is in her and, you know, part of her wants to be good, but the magic is turning her, uh, is using her for its own means, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'll trust what I've watched seven episodes of a little bit more than I'll trust the one scene of her mom saying, you can never be good. Like, I don't know you. Yeah, that that sounds like a challenge to me. Yeah, like, oh yeah, watch this. Well, I guess that wasn't good what I just did, but I will, okay? I mean, there was... A couple centuries. When Vision was created, there was a whole debate of can he be good? Because part of him was created by Ultron, and then he went and lifted Mjolnir. Okay, so you could say, because I was going to say she did kill her entire coven, but also you could technically argue self-defense. Yeah, we don't know if the coven was good. (laughs) We don't know what their whole deal was. We don't know about the coven. And also, right. I feel like the way that Catherine Hahn emotes in this scene, she is not aware that she was able to do what she did to those I witches. It, she thought that she was going to either, whatever it is, power drained or, or die, whatever it is. Right. And then her power that is not trained fought back, maybe on its own accord. Maybe she did it subconsciously. So it's hard to say, like... Cause what what did they what did they put her up at the on the stake for for reading a book that she wasn't supposed to read yet? Yeah, stuff that was above her training level, and they referred to them as dark arts. Which isn't that what that sounds like? She actually went for fake witches for sometimes. That seems yeah. like a weird thing to take someone's power away for doing. Yeah, we don't know what this forbidden knowledge was that she was trying to access. And she had, and we can get into the the symbolism of the colors of the different magics too, because there was some kind of red light that was coming out of her. They sent blue light at her, and then she sent purple light back. Whether that's the combination of the blue and the red becoming purple, 
some people have suggested, well, the, where we've seen purple magic before is in the cult that was following Dormammu in Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. So is she tapping into the dark dimension? I don't know. That would be maybe a complicated answer, but maybe that's kind of subtly there in the background. Maybe, maybe, maybe that book, that grimoire that is in her basement that we saw in the last episode, maybe that is the dark art that she was trying to to access, and maybe that was the missing book from Doctor from the Ancient One's library in Doctor Strange. I sent y'all a picture of this last week. I don't think we talked about it, but if you go back and watch Doctor Strange, when when Doctor Strange goes to talk to Wong in the library, and they go back to the restriction section, there is a book. Like there's a spot that should have a book that does not have a book. The one of those books that's like chained up and locked up. That one is missing. Maybe that's the one that Agatha has, and maybe she's had it for four hundred years. What if that would have been a really, really, really deep cut? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What if the whole point of the coven is to defend against the dark arts? Potentially. And then uh -oh. an old uh, wizard comes out with black hair and goes, I can teach you how to bewitch the mind and snare <laughs> the senses. Oh, boy. So who's playing that, that oh, wizard? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> also, real quick, we, I don't know if we mentioned the, the weird crown that appeared on her mother's head. Kind of evocative of the Scarlet Witch yes. headdress headpiece as well. well that, I, but I assume that will be the headpiece. That's the headpiece that we see is not like an actual crown, but like a magic crown that she yeah. wears as the Scarlet yeah. Witch. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And the fact that and we'll 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 get to the end of this episode, but the fact that there is a prophesized Scarlet Witch that exists, does that mean that there are other witches that stand perhaps in opposition to the scarlet witch is there a blue they, witch is there colors yeah is there a yellow witch yeah there's radagast the brown witch <laughs> there's <laughs> vision the gray the white, vision the white. <laughs> no. maleficent the green witch <laughs> mm -hmm. oh this is how we tie into the kingdom hearts universe there we go <laughs> the scarlet witch meet maleficent and they're fighting sora and Wanda has to get her heart back, but her heart is really... Oh, and that means Vision is a nobody, and the Vision that we see right now is a heartless. No, the White Vision is a nobody. That's what I said. So the White Vision is a nobody, and the Vision that we have in town is a heartless, and they're both the two sides of the real Vision. So one of them becomes a member of Organization 13? Yes. But that's oh, what Sword will become. <laughs> This is now the filibuster from Parks and Rec. Sword changes its name to Keyblade. <laughs> Do you know what's oh, crazy? It's that everything that you just said isn't even close to as complicated as the actual Kingdom Hearts story. I know, it's so... simple compared to real Kingdom Hearts. Simple and clean. So we gotta ask this. So, how does the Corella movie tie into this? <laughs> I don't know, but Winnie the Pooh is the yellow witch. That's what I just decided. Okay. Yeah, and Honey, he eats Honey because that is what, what gives him his, his powers. <laughs> Yeah. See, what you don't understand is after Agatha kills Sparky, she then hands the dog over to a little girl with white and black hair, and the little girl goes, ooh, I can make a nice scarf out of this. And that's how we get Cruella DeVille. I think killing dogs is a great idea. I'll do that. I'm going to make that my... my my goal in life. You know what? Kill it was dogs. cool what you did when you just killed that dog. I should do that, but to 101 different ones. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hayward's office was room 101. 
That is true. It's all coming together. A word is Corella Deville. Oh, shit. Deville, Mephisto, it's all. <laughs> Corella's Mephisto. All right, end the episode. We're not going to talk goes about all the way yeah. to the top. <laughs> At the front desk of the facility, Wanda asks to get Vision's body so she can have a funeral for him. She's allowed to enter the facility and does so by shoving doors open with her magic, just like she was seen doing on the footage Tyler Hayward showed, but without any malice. Rather than storming the base, as Hayward said, Wanda walks peacefully to his office where he shows her vision being worked on. Vision, or Wanda is distraught at seeing Vision dismantled, but Hayward says they have a moral obligation to dismantle the most sophisticated sentient weapon ever made. How hard do you think it was for her and, Mon- and Monica both when they walked into the sword facility to have all the TVs showing families reunited, this and that, when they are coming back from five years gone and they have lost their families? Mm-hmm. He starts to prod Wanda, saying she may have the power to reactivate Vision, but she insists he- she doesn't. He then tells her she can't take $3 billion of vibranium with her. Wanda says, he's all that I have. And Hayward says, that's just it. He doesn't belong to you. Which, like, weirdly is another... Look, I'm going to get say it now because I just it feels like it fits here. But I think where we end with this show is Wanda having to release her fake vision. Because it's not the real thing, because the real vision is gone. And it's her having to deal with that grief. I think she has to do the same thing with her children, because they're not real. She has to understand that these things that she's created for herself are not real, and understand how to deal with them in the real world. And I think part of that is this, this that he doesn't belong to her. He is not hers. He was his own person, and he is gone now. And she can't just make another fake one, because the real one is never going to come back. you reading my... My notes again. Were those what you said? <laughs> Basically. Is it? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's fine. I'll yeah. say it again later. It could. I mean, it. it I am very curious to see where it goes because th- that is the one way it could play out. And the other way it can play out is that you could merge the Westview vision with the vision body that is there and bring him back. But then does that undermine the theme of the story? I don't know. But does Wanda deserve a happy ending? Yes, she does. And I want that for her. But also... Yeah, but she... But also, again, you have the question of, like, does does that undermine the story? Because that's... As much as I love The Haunting of Hill House, I thought the last episode kind of undermined a lot of it. Uh, the way that they tied it up with kind of a happy-ish ending. Yeah. I was like, not that I wanted it to be a sad ending, but... I felt like it kind of ignored a lot of what came before to give us a happy ending. And I could see WandaVision going that way, but would I be more okay with it because I want Wanda and Vision to be together? Maybe. Well, and I think I don't know. if you consider that a happy ending, they had to let their father and their sister die and live in the house. Okay, so happy ending is not, not what oh, I should have meant. When, okay, <laughs> so so when the father and the sister move into that, like decide to stay in the Red Room yeah. in um, they play it as like a sad and noble sacrifice, but ultimately it brings the family closer together after that because they get their closure. Sure. I didn't like the way they played it because that's actually horrifying that he decided to stay and live in this house uh, to mollify the spirit of his dead wife who has been absorbed by the house. Like that, they played it as a tragic but sweet 
sacrifice ending that brought the family together when really if that's the way they're gonna go i think that's actually kind of a horrifying ending and they didn't really play it that way they they played it for the sentiment uh Mm. so so it didn't affect my overall enjoyment of the show i still think that show was great um and it had some really brilliant episodes but the ending just didn't quite sit right with me and I also didn't like the. I mean, they've talked about some of the alternate endings that they considered for that show, where it's his birthday, or no, they're celebrating a year from being sober, and then it pans back, and you see that the windows are the same as in the Red Room. And I wouldn't have liked that either, because that's just kind of a cheap horror movie ending for the sake of one. And I feel like there should have been a balance sort of between those two that that dealt with that ending and the, with the gravity it deserved, rather than you know sinking into sentiment and then saying. And I love sentiment. I am a sappy person. Uh, um, I just think it didn't 100% work. Uh, the, the show didn't quite stick the landing as a result of how they ended it. That's, that's just me. I, I will disagree with you on our Haunting of Hill House podcast. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just don't... I don't I don't like the Visions combining theory. Like, I don't think that is a satisfying way to end the show. Because I think this whole thing especially with these last few episodes are about wanda's journey through her grief and kind of coming to terms with it and not thinking she can take any sort of easy way out to try to uh ignore it or um, shield herself from her grief or to give herself something to focus on to really truly progress as a character and to become who she's supposed to be she has to deal with this grief and i I don't think her just combining two visions and being like, all right, well, everything you did worked out, so it's all okay is, like, the way to do it. Where I differ a little bit with you, I think, is that we see... And I'm just going to go ahead and talk about one of my points here now, because I think it it, it, it feels not... uh, It feels here. That we see in these flashbacks, she was prepared to deal with her grief in a normal fashion we've been led to believe that she went and stole the vision she left without the vision and the only reason she wanted vision in the first place was not to revive him but to give him a burial to give herself some closure on this loss of who even hayward calls him her soulmate hayward who i think would not believe that the vision has a soul (laughs) still refers to him that way and I guess I'll, I'll back to the beginning of this is that we've been kind of a, a theory that's been brought up a lot and that had been kind of pushed. We've been sort of been pushed to believe this possibly based on precedent from the comics. And I think the show playing with us with our expectations that way was that this was a and I apologize for the blunt um, phrasing here. Wanda gets sad and goes crazy. And that that's what the anomaly is, that's what the hex is, and that she's living out this fantasy life that she wanted. She went and stole the vision and revived him, and she's been puppeting a corpse around and all of that. And that it's really looking like all of this is leading up to a Wanda doesn't know the full extent of her powers and is untrained, and they're acting somewhat on their own and unpredictably. And meanwhile, there are predatory, predatory characters, or possibly just one of we don't really know Agatha's deal yet, but Hayward definitely are taking advantage of this for their own means. 
And I think that is much better than leaning into what is a very outdated hysterical woman trope, which is what we've gotten in the comics several times over as recently as House of M, but dating back to the uh, West Coast Avengers storyline that Robbie was talking about earlier, that leads into a dark Scarlet Witch story, which I will speak more on that a little bit later. But a lot of this speculation has been centered on Wanda's the bad guy. A lot of it is because that's what we expect from the comics, but also from our probably a lot of media consumption. There are a lot of stories about a woman, it's almost always a woman, snapping because something bad has happened to her or one too many things bad things happen to her and now she's you know taking it on everybody else and really i'm not only making the connection now we talked about the beginning witchcraft in the marvel comics being drawn from womanhood and that is because so many of the the stories of witches again dating back to the salem witch trial is because men feel like they couldn't control the, the women so, and that is a trope that has persisted to this day in storytelling. And I'm really glad that it looks like they're swerving on this, that they are setting up to make us think with the way Hayward selectively showed video and said, she stormed and stole Vision's body. And this is what's happening. Set us up to believe that. And, and I, and I think a part of this, and I don't want to overgeneralize here, but a lot of these comic stories were written by men. Head writer of this show was a woman. So I think that uh, this is a conversation Angela and I had yesterday that as men, I think that, and I, I don't want to speak for all men again either, but I think it's very easy for us to be shown a particular trope over and over again and not think anything of it until someone points out, hey, isn't it kind of messed up that this is how women are being portrayed or, or whatever? And we're like, oh yeah, I guess it is. But we're just so used to it. We've been conditioned by the stories that we read and watch. Whereas... I think women perhaps see these stories and internalize it in a different way. They're like, how come it's always the woman goes crazy and this happens? So I think bringing perhaps a feminine perspective into the writer's room of this show is leading to perhaps a little more of a nuanced take on this storyline. And again, we're seeing that she wanted to... uh, give vision a proper burial she actually wanted to process her grief in a healthy way and she was denied that she goes in and she says i can't feel it anymore and that's what why she leaves because she really feels like even if she buried this vision she wouldn't get the closure because as far as she's concerned vision is not even in there anymore uh and and that's a sad moment all in itself and she's denied that. And I, I suspect that Hayward, even was when she goes down there, he's kind of hoping, okay, she's going to revive him. I'm going to have my weapon. And this is going to be great. And then she doesn't, and she leaves. But he tells him to stand down. He lets her go down there without any resistance whatsoever. And, and, the, and the fact that the creation of the Hex turns out to be an instinctive action, it's almost like her powers just take over. Because she has one of those moments, one of those grief-stricken moments when she goes to the house and thinks all that she could have had and it's one of those wave moments where it just overtakes you as grief does because the grief is fresh for her still and then because she has these magical powers then everything happens as a result of that but it is her once again as we've seen so many times she's turning to tv as comfort for her in a traumatic moment just in a much larger way than possible and and I even think that there's a part of her that might even be trying to help 
the citizens of Westview because looking at that town, it looks like it was probably ravaged by the effects of the last five years, as many towns across the world would have been. Just speaking as someone from New Jersey, there are a lot of towns in New Jersey that are economically hurting. There are a lot of towns in New Jersey that are very affluent as well, uh, affluent suburban towns. Westview strikes me as the kind of town that would have been one of those affluent towns, but maybe because of the blip, it's really fallen on hard times. And maybe she's a part of her trying to help them process and get through all of these things as well, but could be wrong. The point is that it is not her acting out because she's sad. I think it's her powers kind of taking over because she just doesn't have the training to control that, but she's really sincerely trying to move on here. And if you were trying to sincerely move on from loss and suddenly you found yourself in a world where you have those things that you had lost before, you would resist that. You would resist getting rid of that as well. I think it's one, and I don't think this is you, so I don't want you to take this as me saying I don't agree with you or what you said, but I scoff at people who say that this is just a simple woman gets sad and then does bad things thing because i think it ignores a lot of the nuance of what is happening in the show and i think people sometimes can um, devolve things down to really simple sentences to describe something and go oh this is dumb because it's simply this this happens in star Mm -hmm. wars a lot this happens with a lot of properties that we just like in general where people will devolve it to a very simple sentence and goes the problem is because it's this simple and the problem with that is that it's not that simple. It is not as simple as saying this is a story about a woman who is sad and then does you know bad thing or whatever the case may be. It is significantly more complex than that. And to ignore that, I think, is a disservice to a lot of the great writing work that is done on this show. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think I think we agree. Yeah, no, I think absolutely I we think, agree on yeah. that. So, and that's why I wanted you to to know that I didn't. I don't think we. Uh, I don't think we yeah. disagree on this at all. I think the show is doing a great point. And I, once again, I don't know if it's Wanda uh, dealing with her grief and trying to deal with it in a good way or uh, trying to shield herself from her grief or, you know, understanding that she has been through so much grief already. She finally has a chance to maybe try to deal with it in a different way. And this is the way that she's chosen. And it's not necessarily a bad thing for her to make a mistake and choose the incorrect path because she's been through so much grief already. It's not a bad mm. thing for people to make mistakes. And I think yeah. it, that it's it's okay if she is grieving and this is the way that she's trying to deal with her grief. Should she be hurting all these people? No. But maybe she doesn't understand that she's hurting all these people because she's hurting herself. And I don't think that I don't think that the 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 show should be devolved down to a simple sentence of this is the show, and this is why this is happening. So it is either good or bad. I think it is a disservice to it to not talk about the gray and the complex areas of. Yeah. To, to borrow from, to to borrow a, a paraphrase because I probably will not directly quote this accurately <laughs> of the scene we talked about earlier where vision responds by, you know, explaining what grief is when you are in a position like Wanda is in and you have those waves that keep crashing over you and you try to get up and they crash on you again, depending on how often those waves are hitting you, you know, sometimes you will do whatever you think you can do to have the waves stop hitting you. And that's not always something that's actually good for you. 
It's not always something that's good for the people around you. It's I have been constantly hit by these waves of grief for too long. And I see an opportunity to even temporarily relieve myself from that grief and I'm going to take it. And I think that's kind of part of this message, right? Is, is that, that's why it's not that simple is if this is what Wanda's going through and it's how she's dealing with her grief, maybe it isn't the best way to do it because it's affecting a lot of other people in a way that is out of their control. But she's been hit so hard by so many waves, she's taken that opportunity. And I think I've said something similar to this on a previous episode, but you know, if you want to write this show off as a woman going crazy and making magic things happen and you don't understand the complexity of how grief works uh, or, and, and maybe you just can't see it. I'm honestly very jealous of you yeah. <laughs> to not have the perspective. Um, consider yourself very lucky if you cannot see the perspective of grief um, written into this show the way it is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I, th- I think the distinction I want to make here is, like between specifically this and House of M, which is the the go to comparison for this, is that in House of M, she created that world actively. She was egged on by Pietro, but she created that world as a place where she could be happy because that's how she wanted to deal with it. Here, I think it's the world was created. Yes, she technically created it, but she did not play an active role in its creation. She wasn't cognizant of it being created, yeah. and then she found herself in this world and in her grief was like, I am going to retreat into this world now. And again, and I believe that because we see with that visit to sword that she was doing her best to process it. And then she just sort of fell into this world where everything was okay. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to take advantage of this. I, I, and I, as I think probably any grief stricken person who found themselves in such a fantastic situation as this would probably do that. Which is why I make, which is why, and and where, which is where I think where we are all on the same page, is that 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 is what distinguishes it to me from she went and sat, she got sad and did bad things. It's she got she was sad, she was depressed. This thing happened, and then she said, "Yeah, I'm going to go along with this because I deserve a moment of happiness." And she is not wrong about that. Oof, yeah, deep stuff. <laughs> She shatters the glass like seen in the video, but rather than, atta- rather than attacking the agents, she merely puts her hand on Vision's head and tearfully says, I can't feel you. Wanda sadly leaves without incident, proving the footage Hayward showed Monica Rambeau of Wanda storming the base and stealing Vision's body was altered. In her quiet grief, Wanda drives to Westview, New Jersey. As she drives through town, the characters we've come to know and are seen before the hex through though with a tinge of sadness. Yeah, we were watching this. Yeah, that sentence was really hard to read. We were watching this. <laughs> uh, we were like, man, Westview, New Jersey kind of sucks. Like, yeah. so first okay. off, no, go what, ahead. A, what a dump. And second off, sorry, Chris. Uh, and second off, this is where Vision decided to buy her her dream home <laughs> in this crap place. So, okay, since you said that... um. Yeah, no, that was my thought as well. My first thought is like, this is, what are you doing, Vision? This is where you're going to settle down? Um, Maybe Wanda had the right idea enslaving yeah, all of absolutely. them. Absolutely. Um, 
And then it was, ended up being something I actually dwelled on a little bit, and I think it's purposeful. And Chris kind of already got to this because the theme of this episode is Chris and Peaches say everything that I was thinking before I got a chance to say it. So Chris kind of already touched on Westview was probably affected by the snap. And I think it's possible that they just said, yeah, Wanda and Vision are going to live in this slum in New Jersey. But my guess is more likely Westview was a nice, happy community that they went to visit and thought, we want to live here. And then they had the snap. And then um, we had all this sadness uh, as a result of that. And I think there's definitely a point being made of all of the locals being depressed and upset. And I think there's a reason for that. I think, you know, as we know, this whole thing just came back a few a few weeks ago. What, it's been like five weeks? Um some of them probably yeah, came back, yes. and they're trying to figure out how to come back. But also, the town just probably fell into disrepair after half or whatever of them disappeared. That's why there's probably houses that were in the middle of being constructed and weren't finished and things like that. So we're talking a lot in this episode about how it's Wanda's grief and how much of this is Wanda's grief. And I think that's part of it. I, I So we think about her, you took everything from me line, and... Thanos took her boyfriend twice. Well, she took her boyfriend, then Thanos took him again. Um, then she lost five years of her life. Uh, and more than that, she lost some of her, her um, comrades. Uh, she's still her brother in terms of her life. Losing her brother is still recent. And then, on top of all that, it, the snap clearly affected the, the home that she was supposed to have for her future. Or, or not clearly, my theory, and some of you have already said that earlier in this episode, is that it also affected her home where she was going to live. So she's lost a lot. And so that's yet another moment that probably fueled that grief. And part of me, and this, the Halloween spectacular sort of got to this, and maybe this is subconscious, but I think part of me thinks that what's going on is she thinks that she's making Westview a better place. She thinks that she's the, the happy place that they were going to live together she is um, helping bring it back to that. So that's it's not super important, but I think it was purposefully done. And I think there's some poignancy to add on to all of the other uh, sorrow of this episode is I don't think Westview was just a trashy place they decided to live. I think Westview was a nice place that ended up being ruined by the same thing that ruined everything else in Wanda's life. My thought on them choosing Westview was more so because the last, not the last we saw. But I know what you're going to say, and it was what I was going to say, and I'm upset you're saying it first. Hey, that's let's just this keep, whole episode, Eduardo. Let's just keep doing that to each other. <laughs> the last time that we saw the two of them like actually together and not in like fight scenes or murdering one another was when they were avoiding being detected because of them breaching the Sokovia Accords. And they had that moment in the street where, where they were like, we should just run away. We should just, you know, take care of each other, run away together, whatever. Right before Vision gets attacked by Corvus Glaive, question mark? Yes. And so for me, I imagine that they would have picked Westview because it is a tiny, quiet town where they can just live without being bothered. But also it's close enough to where the Avengers have headquartered themselves that if they're needed, they can they can go, you know? 
that's that's kind of how I interpreted that, and that's how I interpreted why they moved to a small town in New Jersey in the comics, based on everything that Chris told us was. They can be away, but they can be close still. You know, it's like moving to a house that is like two hours away from your parents. You're close enough to them that you can visit when you want to, but you're not so close that you're, you know, being asked to come to dinner every single day. No offense to parents out there. Yeah, yeah. If you are two superpowered beings on the run from the government, where do you go that you think no one will ever go with you? Mm-hmm. obviously that's new jersey <laughs> and so <laughs> if you are trying to make it so that you go to a place that no one else wants to visit you move to new jersey this is amazing trolling <laughs> <laughs> i'm just laughing i'm not agreeing <laughs> just want you to know i really like the bagels in new jersey yeah, and scrapple i was a big fan of scrapple i might be the only one i don't think new jerseyans even like scrapple <laughs> They serve it at every diner, though, so yeah. someone likes it. No, but I uh, am with Peaches. That's what I was going to say, was that I think the last time we saw them, they were on the lamb, and I think this is um, a gift from Vision to her to try to be that part where they were going to run away together. Like, th- that all makes sense. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. I 100% think that's what's going on. I just think Vision probably chose a nicer place. Maybe Vision doesn't know what a nice neighborhood that's, is. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't this really have a not paprikash. <laughs> what is well, I've never had taste. Not a nice community holding on. I did like, even though it was kind of bleak, I did like seeing the modern version of all the characters that we've seen in yes. three or four other styles, um, and not all of them, just some of them. Yeah, yeah. Kitty uh, Kitty Foreman with a with a current hair contemporary haircut was surreal for me. That was like strange, yeah. And the mystery of the mailman was solved. He's a pizza delivery guy. Yeah. Um, the uh, guy, I can never remember his name, but the guy with the mustache. Oh, uh, um, um, the guy who That's made all the jokes in the first three episodes. Who is married to Dottie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I remember he had that line, well, that was my grandma's piano. <laughs> but here he is, he's hanging up a flyer right. for he's doing piano lessons. Yes. Does that mean that uh, fake Pietro is probably the beekeeper then? No, he's not. Why not? Because he's not. Why not? This is a theory I won't subscribe to. I mean, it's we've possible. seen kind of the, the the beekeeper's face, so it could just be no one. But like, he comes in the town later. We thought it might be the mailman, but it's clearly not the mailman. Fake Pietro's the last one left to be the beekeeper. Not that the beekeeper is a like really important character because he's not he just that's just who he is it because could be, later I mean, didn't we literally Agatha say, found somebody from somewhere else i thought we to be a Westview person i thought we said earlier on this episode that his last name was like jenkins or something or franklin franklin franklin, franklin agent franklin yes and i know that but a pizza delivery man named franklin come on think about it think about it <laughs> you know what now that i think about it you're right no i and he was credited to another human i don't know i i i go back to what i said before when this point was made where when people are changing in westview they're not changing what they look like underneath their style is just changing like he would have to change to a completely different human being and he'd be the only one that did that oh but then we see that uh agnes has the power to literally change what things look like like when she turns the fly it's a delivery man 
We do not. She see turns her the pizza of delivery pizza man we into never, the beekeeper. We never see her chains of pizza delivery man. I think that's there's... not in the Constitution. <laughs> the... What? <laughs> no, but uh... there's no reason for it to be the beekeeper. Like, there's no good reason for it to be the beekeeper. I don't know for what that fake would... Pietro to be the beekeeper. Yeah, well, I don't know what that would add to anything to say. Oh, by the way, uh, this was just. It a doesn't sword add. Agent, it's like... not the yeah, beekeeper. Not okay. The problem is, is the beekeeper <laughs> is not an important character. Exactly. He's just a beekeeper because he illustrates that he is someone who came to Westview later. Wanda doesn't know who he is, and then his his backstory was changed. I think so Wanda that... doesn't know all three thousand people in Westview anyway. I'm excited. For the last episode to end with like Beauty and the Beast style, everyone changing back, and Fietro turns into the beekeeper, and they expect the audience to recognize the beekeeper, but none of them do, and it falls flat as a moment. He turns from Pietro oh, like... into the beekeeper, and then we're all like, <gasps> and then he turns from the beekeeper into the surveillance dork. <laughs> and then he turns into the kid from Iron Man 3 all grown up. Yeah, that's true. That's it. We've solved the case. Yeah. <laughs> the case of Pietro. No, solved Pietro. once again by Pietro the AR boys. Wanda arrives in an empty plot with a deed for the house purchased for her by Vision, with a note saying to grow old in. Her grief overcomes her, and she falls to her knees as magic pours out of her and across Westview, building her perfect Dick Van Dyke house and cleaning up Westview to its black and white 1950s self. Finally, the power of the Mind Stone creates a duplicate vision. He says, welcome home, Wanda. And they sit down to watch TV. I want to talk about the transformation for a second. Uh, first of all, the deed it said Wanda Maximoff and The Vision as like their legal names. And I love that his legal name is The Vision. And he can sign official paperwork as The Vision. And they just, everyone just rolls with it. Uh, just furthering everyone acting like Vision is a normal name inside the hex. Uh, the house itself is on Sherwood Drive which I choose to believe is a reference to Sherwood Shorts, who created several sitcoms, including The Brady Bunch and Gilligan's Island. Oh, and now he's I... responsible. Yes. Yeah, he's... Uh, unless I'm saying his name wrong. Yeah, Sherwood Shorts is his name. Yeah, he, he created several... Yeah, uh, Gilligan's Island and Brady Bunch are probably the two biggest ones that he created. So I'm pretty sure that it being on Sherwood Drive is a reference to Sherwood Shorts. Um, one other big thing that I noticed, uh, I went back and looked at it, is when the town transforms from modern day to the black and white, there's a generic, like, super paper towel brand billboard that turns into Lagos, uh, but notably the movie theater. What it changes into are that two movies are playing, one called Big Red and the other one called Kidnapped. So that feels kind of obvious what those both reference. Mm -hmm. But the movies that were playing there beforehand are Put the Fun in Dysfunction and Tannhauser Gate. Does Tannhauser Gate mean anything to anybody? It's familiar to me, but I can't... Have you seen Blade Runner? Yes, okay. Okay, so in the very famous monologue that Rutger Hauer gives at the end of Blade Runner... Uh, I'll just go ahead and read it to you. He says, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watch sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tannhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time like tears and rain. Time to die. And 
if you don't know what Blade Runner is about, it is about uh, a, it's a near future society. I think it takes place in like 2015 or something. <laughs> or, you know, it it obviously came out in the 70s, but it is about in this society there are now things called replicants, and they are androids who look and act like people and replicants i believe get outlawed because they have started to become more human-like and they're developing emotions and things like that so it just seemed like a a fun choice tannhauser gate in particular is referenced in a lot of science fiction now because that speech was so is so iconic to that movie yeah so i i think the whole androids they android thing the connection there with vision who has developed emotions and all of that that is uh, just an interesting Easter egg. Uh, no, no significance, I believe, but but certainly a, a fun Easter egg, a, a, a shout-out. The flashback ends, and Wanda is left standing on an empty soundstage while Agatha applauds her from the audience. Wanda hears Tommy and Billy yelling outside, and Wanda runs out to find Agatha holding them by their necks by magic ropes as Wanda prepares to confront her. Agatha tells her, you have no idea how dangerous you are. You're supposed to be a myth, a being capable of spontaneous creation, and here you are, using it to make break breakfast for dinner. She adds, this is chaos mag- magic, Wanda, and that makes you the Scarlet Witch to set up the finale. <laughs> one of my I favorite moments of the series so far. I got I legit goosebumps. I will say- I hated is- it! <laughs> This what? is the only time. This is the only time I was sad to have the subtitles on because I mm. read "You Are the That Makes You the Scarlet Witch" well before she said it, no. and I was like, "Oh, no. plot ruined." No, I didn't like it. Why what? didn't you like it? Because it felt so. I don't know. It felt so. You are the Scarlet. That makes you like. It just feels so weird that like it's okay to call her scarlet witch but it's like weird to be like you are a man dressed in all iron that must make you the iron man like it just feels very this is what you do with your scarlet powers that and you are a witch that must makes you the scarlet witch it's like saying the name of the movie in the movie I, I don't yeah, think that's what it is. And maybe a Scarlet Witch like would have made sense within, without. You know seven. what it reminds me of? It reminds me of what are we? Some kind of Suicide Squad? <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I get behind you. The show's not called Scarlet Witch. Yeah, sure, this was, but like it was, it was not a direct correlation. It's her finally getting her superhero name yes. first of all, but. More importantly, it's setting up that apparently in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, unlike every other Marvel universe so far, the Scarlet Witch is apparently a big deal. It's not Wanda Maximoff, I'm calling myself Scarlet Witch because my magic is red. It's she's the Scarlet Witch, and apparently that means something. Yes. And the idea that they're taking this name, uh, which there was, there would have been no real satisfying way to give her the name Scarlet Witch after several movies where she doesn't have a name like that. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, we kind of thought that it was going to be one of those things where, oh, she gets the nickname because of Hayward or something, you know, just having to give her a code name. But the fact that the Scarlet Witch apparently is something very important in the magical world of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I thought that gave it a lot of weight. It's like, oh, gosh, what what does this mean then? What she's apparently this mythical being of immense power that witches the world over have known about 
and have assumed didn't exist, and now here she is in the flesh. I thought it was great. Absolutely. I loved it. I, I agree with everything you just said. This was, And this was a whole episode. It felt like a starting to give MCU Scarlet Witch, to a degree, a little bit of her powers from the comics. A little bit of making her just a little bit more like her comic book counterpart in a way that still fits in this universe. And then to just uh, to bullet point or to, to um, period the episode with you know, the line that's even her name uh, with the, and I think it needed that buildup. I think there needed to be some buildup for that line to be delivered at the end like that. I thought it was fantastic. That's one of my favorite parts of the series. I was stuck on the chaos magic thing. Mm-hmm. Like when afterwards, when I was thinking about those last two lines, you know, I, the, the reveal of her name was ruined because of the subtitles, but we had talked about how, Chris read that panel where, you know, Dr. Strange said that chaos magic wasn't real. And so my first thought was, uh, are they taking chaos magic from the comics and deciding that they're just going to roll with it? Uh, They're going to use that in a different way. And then one of my friends sent me um, something from like the Marvel, some Marvel site, some official Marvel site where they talk about how chaos magic is real and it's, spectacular so i guess like the origin of it was something like um chaos magic was real but a bunch of magic people got together and decided that it was too powerful to be used so they like spoke a lie into the universe and that lie was chaos magic is not real and so everybody in the universe believed that chaos magic wasn't real to kind of lock it away like you didn't give it the power because you didn't say its name like Beetlejuice kind of thing. Mm. Um, and Beetlejuice. so I wonder if they are going with that route. Like, yeah, chaos magic is real in the MCU. We're not even going to worry about that. It's not real BS. Interesting. Yeah. I think it's much simpler to say it's chaos magic and then, and not a while ma- later decide it's not chaos magic. There's no such thing. Oh yeah. I mean, they have to be leaning into it or they wouldn't have used yeah, the line, right. sure. but it was just something I, I thought they're... about. It's very clear now that they're leaning into this being a Scarlet Witch origin story more than anything. Like, this incarnation of the character is going to be different than the character that we have known since Age of Ultron. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think this is very apparent that this character is going to take a more central role in the MCU going forward. At least that's what it feels like. Mm -hmm. She better not die next episode. I'll be so mad. We talked about, like... (laughs) people like taking over roles for other people, right? Like we talked about, and this is kind of hard to say because some of them aren't with us anymore. So it makes it difficult that they're not going to be taking over those roles. But we talked about Spider-Man becoming the new Tony Stark. We talked about um, Black Panther becoming the new Captain America. We talked about kind of a few of those. And I think Scarlet Witch being the new Doctor Strange kind of makes a lot of sense, which makes sense why they are both in the same movie. Mm -hmm. She's that sort of omnipotent force that's always there to kind of guide our team of heroes. I think that would make some sense. Is um, Benedict Cumberbatch, is he like leaving? Is he no, done after? No, 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 no. Okay. But it, you can have that happen over several movies. Like it doesn't have to be. Yeah, true. What I think Scarlet Witch might also fill a role of going forward is the super powered Avenger, which was kind of Thor's role. The, the really, oh, really strong too. Avenger. Avenger yeah. that can, and I think Scarlet Witch. Strongest Avenger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, yeah, that makes perfect sense. We then get a post credit scene. Using the latent power of the Mind Stone from the drone Wanda threw back at Sword, Tyler Hayward's team is able to turn the actual Vision 
now completely stark white back on. Now, Chris, mm -hmm. there are a whole lot of questions here. I immediately Googled White Vision and thankfully yeah. came up with the comic books and not anything else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a kind of message board you want to stay away from. I, I was real close from ending up on 4chan. Um, oh, no. <laughs> it, was, it was a real tight rope that I was able to uh, to move to the correct side. Unfortunately um, for you, everyone Googled that two days ago, so all the relevant yeah. stuff went right to the top. Yep. Thanks, algorithm. Uh, but you did a little bit of research on it as well, and you've got some uh, some thoughts about this vision. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, quite a bit. It actually ties into a lot of things we're talking about, including how Wanda's backstory has kind of evolved over the course of these movies. It, a lot of it has to do with new writers coming in and seeing what was done previously and saying, well, how do we make this fit with the story we want to tell? So different writers, and you see this especially in comics because these are, especially in the Marvel Universe, that has never gotten a hard reboot the way that the DC Universe has multiple times. You know, every, every 10 years there's a crisis and they reboot. Marvel continuity is still, for the most part, from 1963 on, or even earlier with the Captain America, Namor, Human Torch stuff. So all the way back to the 40s, it's all a continuous story. But that means that new writers come in, they see what was done earlier with characters, they go, that doesn't fit with what I want to do. So they throw it out. So we have talked about, Robbie has read, and I have read a lot of these older comics over the past uh, several weeks now. Steve Englehart uh, was not the first writer to romantically pair wanda and vision that has been around uh for all, a long time pretty much going back to shortly after his debut i believe in the avengers but he is the one who wrote the second miniseries the vision and the scarlet witch which was the one that introduced the children and he also wrote the west coast avengers series that took place concurrently they crossed over a lot the the plots of those two stories were intertwined and he was very clearly in love with the idea of Wanda and Vision as a family, as a married couple starting a family. He loved that. Those those uh, Vision and Scarlet Witch comics, you go back and read them, they are superhero comics, but they are almost just as much romance comics. Mm -hmm. It is about their, their lives. There's an issue where it's Thanksgiving, and they've got Pietro and Magneto over for Thanksgiving, and also Wonder Man, and everyone else who was... At this point, Magneto was trying to be better. Okay. Yeah, and he wanted to be a part of his daughter's life, but he knew that he had abused her and Pietro when they were part of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, and he didn't know that they were his children and all that other stuff. But yeah, he was deeply invested in this in this romance, and that's part of the reason he wanted them to have kids. He thought that would be a really fun story avenue to go down, down the line. Now, a few years later, John Byrne took over West Coast Adventures. Uh, he was actually returning to Marvel after a few years away. He had been writing Superman over at DC. But they wanted to get him back, and he apparently said that he would come back if he got the chance to write his vision story that he had in mind. This is going to sound like I... Uh, a lot of this is going to sound like I am crapping on John Byrne. I apologize to him if he is out there listening i hope he's not this is the nicest i've heard anyone be to john Byrne lately by the way most yeah, people just up crap on him i it's probably gonna end up what's happening and i i apologize i i don't like to criticize writers too much but you'll find that i think most of us here have a fundamental difference in opinion with him on some of these characters 
he felt very differently about Wanda and Vision's relationship. And the first thing he did, pretty much everything he did in his West Coast Avengers run was to undo what Steve Englehart had done. I don't know if Steve Englehart, like, I, I don't I don't know what he did to upset John Byrne, but he must have done something. So he starts the story Vision Quest. And I believe that's what you just read, right? Or or the fallout of it. I've heard the fallout of Vision Quest, yes. Yeah, so Vision Quest, Vision ends up destroyed. His body ends up uh, being recovered by the West Coast Avengers. And then the storyline that Robbie talked about and I talked about a few weeks ago happens where we get the white Vision. So that, so Vision was killed. Vision was revived as a pure white emotionless robot. And that is a big part of right there. He had all of his memories of his time with the Avengers. He was given all of his memories of his time with Wanda but he had no emotional connection to it whatsoever. And Vision has had emotions since his debut. That is a big thing. One of the most famous panels in comics is uh, Vision joins the Avengers in the very storyline where he is introduced, where Ultron creates him, but then he ends up he ends up joining the Avengers then. And when they offer him the uh, the position on the Avengers, he says thank you and kind of puts his head down. Um and they're like, oh, wow, the, he reacted weird. And I forget which character says it, but it says, I think if you looked in his eyes, you would find that even an android can cry. And it's a panel with that text. Even an android can cry. And there are tears streaming down the Vision's face. So they're already showing you that he is so much more than just a robot there. He is something more. And John Byrne did not like that at all. He is the reason that people sometimes refer to Vision as a toaster. Um, I think that might actually come from Star Trek, uh, The Next Generation. I think people call Data a toaster or something. But but he has written, I'm going to read you this quote from John Byrne about his feelings of the Vision. This is a direct quote. The question becomes, I suppose, one of value. Knowing that the Vision's complete personality slash memory slash intelligence was downloaded into a computer in Titan, was the Titan memory blurs, allowed me to scrape his brain in, uh, in my Vision Quest story since everything could be restored with a literal flip of a switch. Should something that can be so easily copied and retrieved be treated as having the same intrinsic value as a human being? Should any of the human Avengers, for instance, ever risk their lives on behalf of the Vision? My vote would be no, as some of you have probably already guessed, but I would say that even if it were not possible to restore or save the Vision in any other way, he is a toaster. So he does not think that the Vision has value as an individual because the Vision is a robot. Why do you want to rewrite his story then if you think that he's a pile of trash? Because he thought he was a pile of trash and he wanted to make that canon. That's really vindictive. <laughs> it really feels vindictive, doesn't John it? John Byrne, I don't care if you think that I'm being an asshole. That's a stupid move. One, where else do you put Vision if not in the trash cannon? One of the... <laughs> oh, God bless you. One of the best uh, I've ever written a comic book article is go to Google and write, why did John Byrne leave? And then just let autocomplete take you on a wild ride. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll go into this a little bit. Uh, I think it's interesting is he did not have the same issue with the original Human Torch, who was also an android. But this android looked like a regular person. (laughs) 
<laughs> he was a blonde guy. Ah. You know, so. I, and I am not trying to ca- I am not trying to read any more into it than that, except for the fact that he looked more like a human than the Vision. Um, he's know, also the one who retconned it so that the Vision's body was not actually the Human Torch, because that was what it was originally was. Is that Ultron had used the original Human Torch body to create Vision. He wanted to bring the Human Torch back, so he did. And there are quotes about him saying, uh, and I didn't copy the, this quote into into the notes, so I don't I don't have it on me. But he said something along the lines of that he thinks that the Human Torch is something more as opposed to Vision. Human Torch again. I'm talking about the android, not Johnny Storm. But I I don't know why where I don't know where he draws the distinction. I, there is nothing in the text to make make you think there's a distinction. And Vision didn't used to talk like a robot, and now to this day he still does. Even in the Vision, which I think was a brilliant comic book, that's just what the Vision is now because of John Byrne's run on West Coast Avengers. He talks like a robot. He's still he's a lot of that character. I'm just going to say that character assassination, uh, I think, has mostly been undone by later writers. But there's still that. And he did the same thing. I didn't put this in those. I'm going to go off on this, too. He did the same thing to Wanda. He was kind of the first to really do the... Yes. Wanda is a sad, crazy woman who goes crazy. Because this Vision Quest story, which led into their divorce, led into... Wanda becoming evil again and he actually ended up leaving West Coast Avengers in the middle of this dark Scarlet Witch storyline that he was writing because of editorial differences where they wouldn't let him I don't know exactly what it was that they wouldn't let him do super but but I can't remember it was incredibly stupid to leave over because it's something that ended up happening anyway when the new writers took over I forget exactly what it was, but it had something to do with, uh, like, not about Wanda going evil. Right. Uh, He's also the one who made the children turn into Master Pandemonium's hands because he felt like they couldn't have had children. That's ridiculous. And that, and that I know specifically, is something that Steve Englehart was very disappointed in. He's on the record as being disappointed. He thought that there were a lot, there was a lot of story potential in those kids growing up into something and being raised by Wanda and Vision. So yeah, uh, what what I'm getting at here is that uh, I don't agree with him at all. His take on the character, I think that his take on the character is directly in opposition to Vision as the character was introduced. Not to say that characters can't evolve over time, but what we got was. This character devolved because he felt like a robot couldn't love, I guess. I don't know. And and Vision, calling Vision a robot, even though it's technically correct, the best kind of correct, uh, doesn't feel right. Yes. And and here we are. We're getting a lot of shout outs to Vision Quest in, in this episode in particular, uh, especially with the White Vision showing up, who I think is going to be emotionless. And there, there could be more to it. I, and I think we'll, when we get into our what comes next talk, I'll, I'll go on that. But the vibe that I have gotten from this show from the beginning is that the creative minds behind this show, even though they are drawing from John Byrne's creations, John Byrne, some of John Byrne's stories, in addition to all these other stories, Engelhart, Bendis, whatever, uh, they're drawing from several creative things, but they seem to be much more sympathetic both to Wanda and to Vision. They definitely seem to subscribe to Vision is 
a real boy. <laughs> you know, he's not a toaster. Yeah, and I, I think the the John Burns problem, especially with this, is that he asks what I think is actually kind of an interesting question: Should vision be valued just as much as human life? The problem is, is that he immediately answers the question, and he answers it in such a stupid way that it makes the question sound stupid. But the question isn't stupid yeah. because it, it makes you think, and then you could come to your own conclusion and the correct conclusion, which is absolutely he should be valued as a person. But that is that that is your journey to experience. It is it, it is a disservice to your readers to then be like, "What's the answer to this question?" Boom, he's not a real person. You're all stupid. He's a toaster. Mm-hmm. Like. There's no point in that. There's no value in that. The secret identity of director Tyler Hayward, John oh, Burns. <gasps> oh my gosh. It's always Mr. Burns. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> no, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the writers of this are definitely taking a lot more care in the Vision character. I actually really like what they've done with Vision. I didn't, I couldn't, I'm going to be 100% honest. I wasn't necessarily a big Vision fan before this. I thought he was okay, but like he was mm-hmm. just like, one of the guys that was kind of there in the background, really. He was definitely one of the lower-tier Avengers, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. especially with the way he was portrayed. Um, but he definitely has a lot more time to shine here, and that's thanks to how much the writers have given him. So kudos to them, and kudos to Paul Bettany for just doing such an amazing job, just every single episode. Do you know what I thought was great about Bettany's performance in this episode was mm-hmm. the flashback to them at the the Avengers compound? Because he's playing Vision the way Vision was in Age of Ultron and the way he was in Civil War, which is different from how we saw him in Infinity War and now especially in this. And there was he was definitely Vision, but there was a noticeable difference in his portrayal. Like you know that I thought that was really really well done. I wonder if he went back and watched that footage of himself. I felt like Elizabeth Olsen was. Uh, like had a similar performance that way where when we saw her in flashbacks, she really felt like the version of her that we knew from that time period. Yeah. Yeah. No, they both, both of them have done a fantastic job through this whole series. I agree. And, and watching Elizabeth Olsen go through the different eras of Wanda Maximoff in this episode was really good. They, yeah, I've, I feel like I haven't appreciated them enough. And we've had Paul Bettany around since the very beginning. <laughs> we have. Yeah. I mean, and how lucky were they to cast Paul Bettany as the mm-hmm. voice of this uh, system in Tony Stark's house to eventually turn him into an entire character that's right? going to be yeah. co-starring a show. I think we talked about on the Age of Ultron episode the story of how he found out he got the part, right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, just as a quick remind, refresher. In case anybody wasn't here, remind them. Yeah, yeah, uh, the quick refresher is that Paul Bettany was having a very bad day. He had just been, like, chewed out by some studio exec who said pretty much that his career was just about over. Later that day, he got a call from Joss Whedon who said, hey, we'd like you to play the Vision in the next Avengers movie. And look at that. I mean, he's done, I mean, he's had all of those. He was in a Star Wars movie. Not my favorite Star Wars movie, but he was in one. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and now he's got this show, and, and and he's done you know several other things, but he's very much in the public consciousness now. His his career is not close to over. Nope, especially not after this. Yeah. So we've got one episode left, guys. Hmm. <laughs> Where do we think this is going, Peach? We're going to start with you. Where do you think Wandavision's going from here? Um, 
You know, I don't know, but I know where my heart's going after next Friday when the series is over. It's going down. Into down, the trash down. cannon? Are you yelling Into timber? the trash cannon. I'm going to be so sad when this is over. What I what I hope goes along with what I talked about earlier, um, I hope that we don't lose the Agatha Harkness character. Um, I've really, really liked the way that um, Wanda and Vision have both developed as characters in this series um, too. So I don't want to like, I don't want to not talk about that at all, but that's important to me also. I do hope that, that Agatha gets to keep on going in the MCU. What do I think is literally going to happen? Um, you know, I feel like this whole episode, we haven't even really discussed that much because in the background of all this, we still have Monica. We still have Fietro, whatever his powers or, or motivations might be. And we still possibly have this aerospace engineer thing. So there might be more to this equation that I'm, that I'm not um, calculating, but I feel like it's going to be one of those, you know, the white vision comes in to try to do some murdering and the, the team of heroes that we have between Wanda vision, her, her boys, and maybe Agatha have to take them out. Um, I don't know. Maybe they'll have some cool, like put our differences aside, team up. Um, overall, like you said earlier that I said, I would repeat at this point, I really think we're not going to get a happy ending here. Um, which is fine. Not all stories need to have a happy ending. Um, but I think Wanda's going to have to let vision go one more time. Um, how that happens, I don't know, but, um, I think I agree more and more. I think about what you said earlier. I don't think the story has as much staying power. If we just bring vision back exactly the way he was, um, I don't think it tells the story of grief as well as it seems like they're trying to, but also sometimes things work out. So maybe it will be fine if he, if he does get to stick around, I just don't suspect that will be the case. So I'll stop, uh, I'll stop being a downer. Chris, (laughs) what do you think is going to happen? Well, I think that I'm first of all prepared, but not prepared, but expecting my heart to be broken next week. (laughs) I really, I really think that this could be a very emotional one way or the other. It's going to be very emotional. Uh, but as vision once said, a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. You know that uh, he's that in age of Ultron and you know, he's, he's right. And that kind of ties in with his grief quote that apparently everybody has been talking about on Twitter today. Um, but first of all, basic, I think next week we're going to get vision versus vision, double vision. And it's going to be interesting to see what this white vision is like. If this white vision is like the comics where it's vision, but just a cold, emotionless version, there is also a chance that this rebuilt vision, if he doesn't have the aspects of Jarvis in there, aspects of the Mind Stone, the aspects of Tony Stark, Bruce Banner, Thor, the the dominant force in this vision's brain very well could be Ultron. Doesn't mean that this is going to literally be Ultron, but I think it could be on the sliding scale of Ultron to Vision. It's going to be a little bit closer to the Ultron side of the equation. Uh, so that could end up being dangerous to everybody, including Hayward, who thinks he can control it. But 
you know, anyone who thinks they can control something powerful ends up getting their comeuppance <laughs> in a story like this. Uh, but as I said, I am, I'm expecting my heart to be broken, but uh, there is a part of me that's just holding out hope that just once something will go Wanda's way because she deserves a moment of happiness. And uh, no matter what the producer Agatha says, and as we said earlier, then maybe, maybe she's trying to get Wanda to realize that. No, I don't deserve this. I deserve, I deserve to be happy. And on a broader uh, scale uh, for far-reaching implications in the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think Monica gets to take over S.W.O.R.D. And I think she changes the name. I think she changes the W from weapon to world, like it is in the comics. I like that. Because sentient weapon was a very big change from the comics. And that is what, he keep, what Hayward keeps calling Vision, is sentient weapon. And I think she's going to want to make the focus a bit more on protecting all sentient worlds. And I think she's going to put in a call to an old family friend, uh, Uncle Nick, Uncle Nicholas J. Fury. Uh, and I think that's going to be our explanation for what he was doing at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home. I think it's going to turn out that, yes, that was S.W.O.R.D. all along. And he was acting uh, on behalf of new S.W.O.R.D. director, Monica Rambeau. Uh, Robbie, what are, what are you thinking is going to happen? Uh, real quick, as an asterisk, John Byrne repeatedly left uh, series runs, including West Coast Avengers, because he did not think he should have an editor, and anytime he was edited, he would leave. Um, so when Marvel was upset that he did things <laughs> like turn Hawkeye and Mockingbird into psychopaths that attacked each other, uh, and Marvel told him, no, you can't do that, he would, he would leave. So that's cool. Um, anyway, just wanted to wrap that up. I That's fun. Like he tried to make Hawkeye interesting? Oh, but like a bad <laughs> way. Like, like Hawkeye. He, Hawkeye is, is I'm trolling. basically abusive of Mockingbird in his run. And vice versa. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. I, The other thing is that I forgot that one of the things he said about Vision was that he was taking the character back to its roots. Well, I think we clearly established he was not. <laughs> It's like back to his roots the way I think they should have been, right? But they hey, clearly weren't in the comic books. Poster, and at yeah. level sixteen, he evolved into a synthesoid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as far as the topic at hand, I, I think we are going to have a happy ending. Uh, I think we're going to have an emotional episode, but I think we're going to have an happy ending. I think this is. I think Vision is going to be brought back to the MCU, though maybe with some damage that needs to be repaired over the coming stories. That sort of thing. But I do think that's coming. Uh, I think Wanda is... I just... They've already set up what Wanda does when she's in emotional turmoil. I don't think they can just gut punch her even more and somehow write themselves out of that uh, yeah. that box. So I, I do think we're going to have not a perfect ending, but I think we're going to have a happy ending of some sort, uh, including some return of Vision. Um, I just had a thought. What if... What if he does come back? What if they merge White Vision and Hex Vision into True Vision? Well, Eduardo's worried that's too neat. <laughs> yeah, and and what if she says Vision is this really happening? And he says yes, Wanda, it is. Just like in the when she got pregnant, ah, I'm gonna cry. I think the kids <laughs> may disappear, um, but she's mm. known them for a few days. Um, <laughs> You're saying right. she'll get over it? Wow. <laughs> Turns out there are just cicadas. <laughs> Right. That Agatha transfigured, and then there's a laugh into her womb. 
was Wanda, where are Billy and Tommy? Oh, it turns out they were just cicadas. And then, then they send your scratchy ate them. Freeze frame as the credits roll, like from, from a seventies sitcom. <laughs> um, I think we're gonna have our final showdown. And I think from talking to Peach, I think there's a good chance that Agatha is for her own good, but supportive in that final showdown. I don't think it's in an episode that's gonna be less than an hour. I don't think we're gonna have face off against a mini boss and a final boss. I think we're going to have a. Uh, magic beings versus sword and vision at first but vision gets converted i think that's sort of the setup we're going to yeah the mini boss was immersion therapy yes um <laughs> and obviously like one of the things that's weird is we've now gotten a whole episode with finding out without seeing what's up with monica uh so i think so obviously we're gonna see some photon and i, I actually think there's a chance we'll get some aerospace engineer as well maybe post credits um mm. yeah and my honestly my biggest question is is this how we're adding mutants are we adding mutants by retconning that mutants were here all along they were just rare everyone said that this is how we're going to get mutants we're going to get mutants via they're traveling in through the multiverse but are we going to get mutants because we just have people with latent powers like wanda and maybe take something to kind of get the mutant powers going but is let's let's talk about that for a second do you think that this was establishing wanda as a mutant or do you think it was just establishing her as someone who naturally was inclined towards magic? Someone who's naturally inclined towards magic. But I am curious if there is some sort of uh, mutated gene that has been showing up in the MCU. And maybe it takes a catalyst. Maybe it takes, and, and now we're getting too close to the Inhumans, unfortunately. But maybe it takes some sort of catalyst to get it going. Uh, but Fish oil pills. God. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not necessarily sure. So I'm not going so far as predicting that, that oh, this is how they're getting mutants. I'm not going to be the obviously guy. But yeah. it does feel like that's potentially their route into adding these individuals in the MCU is having them having already been around. They just weren't really quite being recognized yet. Now the issue with that, yeah. of course, is it's going to be really hard to tell a story about X-Men without mutants having been established for decades because you already need, if you're going to, unless you're going to do a completely new story, which is fine, you're going to need your Charles Xavier and your and your Magneto to have been around for a while. Um, in which well, case, I think I think how they solve that, though, is then have, have we kind of talked about this a while ago, is that have there suddenly be a mutant explosion, either as a result of something happening here or something else, or just through natural evolution. There have always been mutants, and now they're getting more... But like Charles has already had his school and he's been working, he's been focusing on helping the kids rather than saving the world. Got it. That's that's question for my possibly ignorant mind is isn't part of the point of Xavier's school for gifted youngsters that it is a secret to people that are not mutants? Yes. So you could Mm -hmm. go that route, like that it's just existed forever and it's just been an actually well-kept secret. Yeah, that's probably the right that's way. That's why to... it was called Gifted Youngsters and not Fancy Mutants. That's probably the right way to do sure. it. Is it any secret? Yeah. Now it's time to form the teachers into a into a superhero team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's potential. Um, what if we get an extra show, and instead of it being Muppet Babies, it's Mutant Babies, and all of the mutants are actually just small little babies doing their little mutant powers, and they exist in this timeline, but they're just all being born right now and being little babies? Every episode ends with Beast saying, Go bye-bye. 
Also, I don't think this is possible, but have you guys been seeing this rumor that there's a secret tenth episode? Okay. There's no way. I know. No. I, I agree, but but there's a, a big movement that nope, there's a tenth episode and Marvel is high. The internet told me that the last three episodes would be an hour each, so I believe zero things that the internet says. I don't believe yeah. it at all. I just was wondering if you guys. I mean, because what that would mean that it would debut the same week as Falcon and the Winter Soldier, right? Unless they did. Yeah, well, problem. because they've already announced that the, there's next week's episode. Mm-hmm. That and then there is the making of special, and then there is Falcon the Winter Soldier the week after that. Maybe the making of special. I don't actually believe this. I'm not going to finish that. Yeah. Sentence. Um, I Maybe that's the that. episode, and it's just somebody being yeah. uh, technical. I also just yeah. don't, and one of the reasons people are saying that is they're they're saying there's too much too much to to solve in the finale, but I don't think that's true at all. No. I think i don't i don't at all they and they you can wrap up this story sat in a satisfying way still have a few plot threads left for future marvel stuff and i will say about this show unlike this podcast they've been extremely efficient in how they get through the <laughs> their story beats so i don't i don't yeah too much concern um yeah, well, we have eduardo I think I've already talked about this. I agree with Peaches. I think we're going to get a little bit more of a sad ending. And I think instead of using the word sad, I'm going to use the word bittersweet. I think we will get a bittersweet ending where Wanda has to say goodbye to Vision, but it'll be a way for her to actually deal with her grief and with with everything that's been going on in her life. And she'll end up the better for it. Not necessarily the better for it, but she'll end up going in a positive direction at the end of this. That's where I think this is headed. Like, I think... It's a. It's going to be a not necessarily the happiest closing chapter, but it'll be one that is a positive one in the end um, for Wanda. Ratings, Robbie. Who are you going to rate the penultimate episode of Wandavision? So I'm going to frame my rating because I was attacked before this recording started with, uh, "This is not a negative score." Uh, I will quickly say this is my least favorite episode of the, um, the the season so far uh but i did like it i also thought it was an important episode this needed to happen uh in a good series some episodes are going to be utility episodes instead of standout episodes i think this was a good utility episode just had some some extremely powerful emotion so i did still like it so all that said i am giving it a still well above average 7.5 killer rabbits with nasty pointy teeth out of 10 peach uh as a math guy i just want to point out to you that all of your ratings have been higher than seven and a half, so it is not above average. It is below average. Good things by a lot. We only watch good <laughs> things, of course. It's like my. It's like someone was saying my untapped ratings. All my all my beers on untapped are highly rated. It's because I don't drink something I'm not gonna like. Okay, I could not disagree with you more. Saying that this is a. What did you say? That's the same thing as filler episode. I don't agree with that. <laughs> I. I don't know. I did not say filler. It was not a filler episode. It was a utility episode. Same thing. I no, don't agree. Not the same thing. No, they're not this. Yeah, I, I, yeah. That's how I felt that you meant it. So sorry if that's wrong, but I, I felt like this is one of the stronger episodes because we've got a lot of our questions answered, a lot of, a lot of very real, like raw emotion happening here, um, diving more into the character. And setting up whatever's going to happen in the finale. I don't know that this was my favorite one, but it's at least tied with one or two other ones that I rated. So I gave this nine loves persevering out of ten. Chris, I um, a little bit in between both of you. 
Um, I I missed what made WandaVision WandaVision in the sense that we are now definitely out of the sitcom reality. Yeah. But but I think this episode also did a great job of demonstrating that you can have an episode that is basically pure exposition. That's what this episode was, is it was exposition. But it was done in a very engaging way. It was a lot of showing and not telling. And and we learned a lot and we had some great deep emotional scenes in this episode as well. We had a little bit of humor and a little bit of everything. It was just a very well constructed, uh, I guess by utility episode, Robbie, you mean an episode that gave us everything we needed to know to have the finale next week, yes, right? Yes, a, a utility episode is an episode that serves an important purpose that needs to be done. Yeah, a filler episode is, well, the they ordered nine episodes and I only have eight episodes of story, so... Yes, yes correct. <laughs> uh, so here's an episode where Wanda teaches the kids how to tie their shoes. Right, this but, was not a waste of time, which is what a filler episode would be. Yeah, this was a... the, the It moved right, the plot fine. forward. It, uh, I don't like your rating still, though. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but it, it moved the plot forward, it made me feel things, uh, and it taught us about the characters, and taught the characters a bit about themselves, too, uh, particularly Wanda. Uh, so I gave it 8.5 clip show episodes out of 10. And Eduardo, take us home. I'm going to agree with Chris. I'm going to give it 8.5 surprise bombings out of 10. Uh, why did you name your uh, your rating after Robbie's score? <laughs> <laughs> sorry be here all week folks that's gonna do it for everyone on this podcast it's gonna do it uh for myself robbie peaches chris if you want to send us an email go ahead and send us an email at assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com follow us on twitter at assemblycast you can follow all of us individually robbie is at philkid3 chris is at gator sacks 2010 peaches the underscore peaches and myself eduardo at abcd eduardo one that's gonna do it for myself robbie chris peaches we love you 3000 Bye, everybody. Excelsior. Yeah, Hydra. Boobity, boobity. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those 
moments will be lost in time. Like tears.